This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. The Korean zombie does what the Korean zombie does. Francis Naganu and JDS decide the likely next contender for the heavyweight title this weekend. Colby Covington gets his first title defense, and I put that in quotes. Jose Aldo signs a long-term deal with the UFC. The GOAT beats the Magic Man, and we are joined by Joseph Benavidez, who faces Juicy A. Formiga at UFC Fight Night this weekend in Minneapolis. Colby Covington on why he decided to face Robbie Lawler in Newark. And Eric Spikesley on his return to the UFC. It came in a loss to Duran Wynn, but made a very good account of himself in that particular bout. Uh, Joe, you're here with me this week, last week I in uh, Paris, it. France. Yeah. We, oui. Yeah, I'm trying to learn my French a little bit. Bonjour. Comment ça va? I've been to France now. We go like three, four times a year. I've taken French in school, and I still can't speak French. Have you tried so, Duolingo? What's that? It's an app. No. You're, you're going to love it because really? you love learning. And it's easy. It's and the it just... easiest app ever. Okay, done. And you just choose whatever language you want to learn, and you can learn, like, by... if you spend a couple hours on phrases, it, yeah. common phrases, common phrases. Oh, you know? nice. I need that for sure. Yeah, and you can subscribe to it also if you want, like, really advanced lessons, but it's an amazing free? app. Free app free, as well? Free app, yeah. Hey. Free app, no subscription. Uh, but they kick you off. It's like a game almost. Yeah. And then when you, like, get a certain amount wrong... If your like memory's failing you or whatever, then you have like have to put it away for an hour or yeah. something. I just feel bad because you go there and everyone because you're Canadian, they expect you to speak French. Yeah, it doesn't work that and way. And it doesn't work that way. Definitely not. So um it's disappointing. Yeah, disappointing but yeah, they can't enough. just expect that you'll know it. I mean yeah. Fr- French is barely spoken in this country aside from one province. Yeah. But I th- I also I don't know. I, I find in Europe anyways as a whole, Eng- everybody speaks English. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether I've been to Holland, Germany, France, there's some, at least in France, there's a little bit of English. No matter what, where you go, everyone has some sort of uh, ability to communicate with you, which when is I, awesome. When I was in Brazil, nobody had, no. nobody was able to communicate with no. me for the most part. And the weird thing about it is like stuff that I just thought was a normal thing here that I thought would just be globally normal. I asked for cream with my coffee. They had no clue what I was talking about. Yeah, I'm like, cream? And they're like, yeah. and I'm like uh, leche? And yeah. then they like, give you milk. At that and, point, you just roll with it. Yeah, and the cappuccinos are totally different too. They have yeah. like chocolate in them, and really, they're like they're small. I mean, you can get small cappuccinos here too, but they're like, it's like mostly chocolate based. It was very confusing. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. And their coffee is so strong. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not. I was complaining Brazilian. about it to people from Brazil, and they were like, "What are you talking about? Our coffee's amazing." And I'm yeah. like, oh, "Have you okay. had Turkish coffee?" I have. That's really strong. Yeah, that's where it has like the grains in the bottom. Yeah, where it's I have like had super. That. I think it's Greek coffee as well. Mm-hmm. The, the Greeks do it as well. When I was in Israel, I had Turkish coffee actually. Strangely enough, yeah, it was good. Yeah, it's I was very surprised strong. though because I didn't expect there to be grains on the bottom when yeah. I had it the first time in Turkey. And so I had, I had the, it. It was like it was all in my teeth then for a couple of days. That was when you were covering <laughs> yeah. it. When you were covering glory in Turkey. No, I fought there. Oh, you fought there. Okay. Yeah. So I was trying their coffee, and I was. They're like. Do you want Turkish coffee? I was like, yeah, I mean, sure. you're in Turkey. I want <laughs> Turkish coffee, of course. And then, yeah, I was uh, shocked that there was the, the grains still at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of cultures, too, the grains become um, like a fortune telling. They tell your fortune That's based right, on the yeah. grains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've I had, had my fortune, Ethiopian but. coffee, too, very strong. There's a lot of, I mean, if you go to Starbucks and stuff, uh, Ethiopian bean is really popular. Yeah, but they brew it differently. Like if you get Ethiopian coffee made the way that Ethiopians make it, it's very different than getting just a ground from like, like at home, I have that Nespresso machine and uh, I have sleeves and there's like the Ethiopia sleeve and there's the Cafe Istanbul turkey sleeve. Yeah. And it's just the coffee from there, but it's not in the style that they make the coffee. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, because it... Like, if I got coffee beans from Brazil and made it 
in Canada, if I don't make it the same way that they make it in Brazil, it's still it's going to be it's different. still going to be a little bit more diluted than yeah. they would normally have it there. Yeah, interesting. Great way to start off the show. There you go, coffee. Yeah, a little coffee. As I'm talk. sipping coffee. Yeah, same with that. We, we've got our strong Tim Hortons. Coffee it can be with the us. hottest day. And I'm still drinking coffee. Well, it's supposed to cool you down. Hot, hot coffee. People yeah. don't know this. Cools you down on a hot day. Yeah, I still would prefer cold. It just feels better. <laughs> yeah, the cold but, coffee. Well, yeah. why don't you get one? They have it upstairs. When we I don't, don't know. Just the coffee to me has to be hot. I really enjoy the. Because if it's cold, then I want to chug it. I just finished training, so I'm extra thirsty too. So then I would just end up drinking it too fast. Oh, like a cold coffee. You like to savor yeah. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the it's the enjoyment time. This is my time to enjoy. Our conversations, enjoy my day. I appreciate and that. Have some nice coffee. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all, everything's better with coffee. So, you're a pleasant guy, Aaron, but it's just a little bit better with the coffee. Well, I agree with that. I yeah. agree with that. Unless <laughs> the problem with me is if I have too many coffees in a period of time, it has the opposite effect on me. It makes me exhausted. Yeah, that's a lot of people say that. Yeah, and I think it's because I have ADD. I think like it's the coffee helps me focus. Me. But if I have too much of it, I think it just overwhelms my brain. Me, um, it's a habit for me. Any car ride, probably over twenty minutes, oh, I want a sure. coffee. One hundred percent. It has to 100%. stop with the coffee. <laughs> yeah. So driving with coffee for me is amazing. And if I'm doing like glory prep work and stuff, I like to have a coffee beside me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that makes sense. That's nice. Keeps me. Uh, How many do you drink a day? Two. Oh, I wish two. Um, we're talking Tim Horton size mediums, maybe four. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm two a day. If I have four in a day, four Hortons in a day, again, yeah. I get really tired. See, I use coffee as um, like a, a pre-workout because the, they say a little bit of caffeine before your workout is like an energy drink kind of thing. So um, usually wake up, I have my warning, and I usually train once to twice a day. And even when I'm coaching, I'm always having a coffee in my hand when I'm coaching. So what keeps you motivated to keep training? Like if you're not competing anymore, what what in your mind is like the upside of training twice a day? Uh, to be a better martial artist still. I still, um, I'm not happy with the way my southpaw is. Um, I'm not strong enough in my mind. I could be bigger. I could have better health. I could look better. I could feel better. So, I mean, I think it's just uh, a mix of wanting to, I mean, with my career, I could never really improve a lot of uh, things I wanted to improve because I was so focused on the next fight. There's never personal development. And, uh, I want to be as good as I am uh, southpaw and orthodox. I want to be just as good in both stances. I want to be able to box a little better. So I still have, um, I still want to be good in the sport. I still want to learn. I still spar a lot. I still train a lot. Um, me training and learning, I mean, it just makes me a better coach. So, I mean, it's still, I, I will never stop training. It won't stop. I train more now than when I am fighting. Because yeah, when I was that. fighting, I was a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. So I would literally work throughout the day, and then I'd go at night and just train once a day. So now I get to do more strength and conditioning, more time for my kickboxing. I just It's amazing now. So in your mind, it's very similar to GSP. Like GSP probably thinks right now he's the best he's ever been. Yeah, for sure. And you probably feel the same way. Absolutely, 100%. My IQ is through the roof. The amount of studying I do, the coaching, um, even um, doing my YouTube channel helps a lot because I'm having to actually break things down. Um, that was the biggest challenge as a fighter turning into a coach because as a fighter, you do things naturally. I'm an athlete, so, I mean, I might create an angle automatically, but if someone's not athletic, they might not create that angle, keep that distance, so you have to teach them things that I do naturally. Yeah, do you think that when people are early in the in the stages of their martial arts career, mixed martial arts career, UFC, whatever, that they're more focused on the how rather than the why and that the why is what will make you the best, like, will bring you from level one to level two? Well, well there's a, a Bruce Lee quote I always quote. He says, when you first learn a martial art a punch is a punch and a kick is a kick right so to the person who just started martial arts it's just a punch and a kick but as you learn the art 
you realize it's no longer a punch is a punch and a kick is a kick. Hey, there's footwork involved. There's angling. There's stepping. There's hand positions. There's so much to learn about the punch and the kick. And then Bruce Lee says, as you master it, a kick is a kick and a punch is a punch. So it goes through that learning circle. So you think it's basic. Then when you learn it, you realize it's so complicated. But then at the end of the road, you realize, you know what? It is a punch and it is a kick. That's one of my favorite Bruce Lee lines. It's confusing uh, when you think about it, but I always tell my students, I go, think about it. I mean, it used to make us, the thought process to throw a kick used to take us so long. Okay, I got to think, I got to pivot, I got to turn, I got to turn my hip into the kick. But now you just do it. it just, it's just a kick now to you. So you don't have to think about those uh, processes. So the Bruce Lee quote. And do you think that people are better martial artists as they get older, but their bodies aren't as good? Like they're, you know what I mean? Like the vessel in which they can utilize the martial arts isn't as good, as strong? Well, I think, I think everyone's different. With me, I relied on my, my toughness. I was like, okay, well, you might have more experience. You might be older. I might be younger, but I'm just going to use pure, brutal violence and toughness. So I would go in there and I would fight hard. But now, if I would go in there, my IQ is so much better. So I can get away with moving, being a little bit smarter. Um, so I think it's the your IQ plays a difference as well because you have the ability to do other things and read better and, and react maybe a little bit better. But even hearing guys, I, I think they say the prime in martial arts is – Early 30s, probably. I would say early 30s, late 20s is probably a, a prime for your fighting. I don't hey, know. You look at the Korean zombies, 32 now. The weird thing about his career is that he has, I think, seven UFC fights, and he's been around since 2011. Now, in that time, he got injured a couple times. He had military, and military, he had right? military yeah. to do. But it's, it's pretty amazing how good and how sharp he can still be despite that layout. Like, he came off that uh, three-and-a-half-year layoff, and he knocked out Bermudez in the first round. Then he has that crazy fight with Yair, gets knocked out with one of the most embarrassing finishes ever. Like, if, if that happened to you, you'd be mortified. Yeah, be, You're winning a yeah. fight for five, and for then five rounds. You've, yeah. you've maybe lost one round, and yep. you eat that elbow at the last second of the fight. Like, that's, that's humiliating. And then he comes yeah. back and beats a higher-ranked guy than the guy he just lost to in less than a minute. Like, yeah. it, it, you've got to have a pretty incredible like mental toughness yeah. to be able to do that. To come back, and that's the, that's the toughest. And he's definitely got it. I mean, you can put him on, on any show and he's going to perform. I think those are the fighters that, you know, are, are spectacular because he's like, I mean, there's an example this week that everyone's talking about is, um, you can probably say the name, I couldn't tell you, but there was a gentleman who uh, did phenomenal on the Dana White Contender Series. Um, and Dana said he didn't give him the contract because in the last 10 seconds he went for a takedown rather than sitting there trying to exchange, trying to make the fight exciting. Mm -hmm. So he didn't get a contract because of that. Apparently he was this uh, next yeah, big yeah, thing, right? Yeah, Lockman, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the, the UFC at the end of the day wants these type of fighters and Korean Zombie is one of the best to do it and he'll always have a job in, in the organization because of that. And he main events so many cards as well because it's like guaranteed excitement. Absolutely. Like, I mean, he reminds me of someone like a Justin Gaethje style where he's going to perform no matter what. That was his fifth straight headlining fight and the the fight before that was the one where he knocked out Mark Kamenek, your friend, in seven seconds. Yeah, And performance bonuses, I'm sure out of those seven, he's got at least two or three performance bonuses, right? Um, he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven out of seven. The one that he didn't get one was when he lost to Aldo, but he got two on another night. So Yeah, unbelievable. Seven, yeah, seven performance bonuses. That's it's, crazy. It's pretty crazy. And it all started with, what, Leonard Garcia, right? Leonard Garcia. Yeah. That was in the WEC. He got the fight of the night there in a split decision loss that most people thought he won. And then he came back when he was in the UFC. His first fight in the UFC was against Leonard Garcia, and he had that crazy twister. 
which was doesn't uh, get better than yeah, that. Yeah, Twister's unbelievable. Yeah, um, that's crazy. That's yeah. probably a record. Seven fights, seven yeah. performance bonuses. It might be. I gotta. I'd probably have to go back and look. Like Ronda might have done something similar if I had to guess. Yeah, she's with how her quickly she was finishing people. Fast. Like she's probably got a lot of performance of the of the night bonuses. But I don't know if she even fought seven times in the UFC. Let's take a look. See, let's yep. take a. Uh, we'll look down memory lane. Uh, and while we're on that topic, uh, Misha Tate actually yesterday on SiriusXM Radio was asked whose career she'd rather have, um, Ronda Rousey's or Amanda Nunes. Like you can be known as the best ever, or you can be like a like crossover a superstar. Almost, yeah. yeah. And what was the answer? And she said she took. She said when she was fighting, she would have picked Nunes, but now that she's a mom and she sees that she could have, how much she could provide for her daughter. Yeah. She thinks the, it's a much easier answer, and she would go with Ronda. Mm-hmm. She goes, I wouldn't want to be Ronda as a person, but like if I yeah, could have yeah, her yeah. career. Makes sense, yeah. yeah. I'd probably answer the same way. So let's see. Ronda, one fight of the night, performance of the night, performance of the night, performance of the night, performance of the night, submission of the night, fight of the night. So yeah, so she had set, uh, seven in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine fights. Still good. So still pretty good, but wow. Zombie has more yeah. if you take, look at it from a percentage standpoint. Yeah, talking about age and, and fighting, um, what stood out to me too is um, Chael Sonnen. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, I know there was, um, I'll call it journalist beef going on a little bit <laughs> yes. between Chael and uh, Luke Thomas. And uh, I mean, it was, it was so little, and I, I think it was just all in a misunderstanding of what. But Chael, at his age and what he's done and accomplished, and how much and at the level he did for such the long time that he did, I couldn't believe it. I, did, I definitely did not give that man enough credit for what he has done in the sport. For sure. And it's phenomenal to hear what he did. I mean, I think he's beat nine out of the last. 13, which were all former world champions. And, I mean, he's what, in his 40s? Yeah, I think so. I think he's probably 40 or so. Yeah, it's incredible, man. I was very let me, impressed. Let me with, take a look. Really impressed with, with when Did I was he win that many? Resume. Nine of his last 13? I don't think it was that many, was it? I think that's what they were saying. In the no, interview. it wasn't that many. But no? he, he two and two in his last four, four and six, five and six, five and seven. Uh, then seven and seven. So he was about 500 since, like, his his since his – his loss to Anderson Silva, that first loss, it's seven and seven. But if you look at, like you said, who he's fought, yeah, it's a crazy. pretty phenomenal the list. It's Hall of Famers after Hall of Famer after yeah. Hall of Famer. And at the age he's doing it, I, th- I just I was shocked. To see but he's also fighting people that are in their advanced age, like he's fighting an, an elder Fedor, yeah. an elder Machida, an elder Rampage, an elder Vanderlei. Yeah. It's still cool. Yeah, no, I just still like the, the fact that he's at that age and still being able to compete and. As often as he did it, I was just really impressed with his career as a whole when they reflected on it. Yeah, for sure. And um, I, I love Chael. Like, I mean, I think Chael is one of the the biggest enigmas in combat sports because he's a guy that you could say truly made his own luck. You yeah. know, like he, Oh, yeah. He created it. Yeah, he created his own luck. He talked his way into that fight with Anderson Silva. I mean, he got three great wins in a row. Dan Miller, Yushin Okami, and Yushin at that time was like a big prospect. And Nate Marquardt, who a lot of people thought was going to be a future champion. But if he never talked, he wouldn't have gotten any of those sure. opportunities. Absolutely. Based on his like skill alone, I mean, he probably wouldn't have got those Anderson fights and a lot of those big ones. So, well, think of phenomenal. the John Jones fight. Like He wasn't fighting at light heavyweight. And yeah, he managed and he to got talk his fight. way into getting a fight with John Jones that he almost won. That he was like twenty something yeah. seconds away from winning. If the if the ref would have seen John Jones's toe after that first round, yeah, they probably would have had to stop it. Yeah. I mean, look at the toe was hanging. And even off. Anderson Silva, right? It was that last second yeah. submission that, that he pulled. That off, one's more right? like a more would have been a more legit win. I yeah. mean, that was like fourth fourth round with uh, or fifth round with like less than two minutes to go, and he he unfortunately got caught in that triangle. But uh, 
that I mean, when you look at it though, that that would have gotten overturned <laughs> because he was he tested positive for ele- elevated testosterone after the fight. But um, oh, yeah, that was the he would have yeah. still beaten him, but it would have been a, probably a no contest. But uh, be that as it may, still a spectacular career. I mean, the argument that he made in that Luke Thomas thing, that this is where the whole beef came from. Is Thomas said he was a good but not great fighter at yeah. the end of the day, and Chael said. You know, how can you say that when you look at the resume of who I fought? If you look at the last 13 or whatever people that yeah, I fought, they're all look at the names. They're champ- all like former world or champions. Or maybe what they're saying, challengers. nine out of the 13 were former world champions. That's yeah. probably what they were yeah, saying. Yeah, right. Yeah. That makes sense. So when you look at it that way, I mean, the level of competition that he faced, sure, the results weren't necessarily there, but it's really hard to gauge it, though, because when you look at who he beat and when he beat them, like, there aren't a ton there that really stand out as, like, over-the-top impressive victories. The most impressive performance he had was that first Anderson Silva fight, really, that he lost. Mm-hmm. Because nobody had come close to beating Anderson Silva, and he had won four and a half rounds against them. Yeah, But it's also what you define as what great is. Yeah, I exactly. mean, if, if you look at the greatest, like a Fedor or a John Jones, those, those are, like, all-time greats probably, right? So and then was he it. at the level of John Jones? You, no, right? I yeah. mean, he hasn't been winning at the highest level for as long as John's has. So I get where Luke's coming from, but... It's still a phenomenal—the way he did it and the age, we really haven't seen that in many guys. So. But realistically, everybody, if you look at it as a whole, everybody who gets to the UFC is great. Yeah. If you look at how many people fight Absolutely. in the world, they're all—these are the elite yeah. of the elite. So he, he would have to be the elite of the elite of the of elite. Of the elite of the elite know? to be in so that To be definition. considered an all-time great. But I still think he was a great fighter. I wouldn't yeah. call him an all-time great, but, like, I think that it's— Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I'm with you. So, uh— Chael retires. Yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. And uh, that Bellator card as a whole, we uh, we put our we we put out our picks and we both we both hit. I had uh, Horiguchi. You had uh, Rory McDonald. Yeah, and Rory. Um, I know a lot of people were worried about it, but he did what he had to do. And I mean, I think that's where, again, we ta- always talk about the changing as a martial artist. And he didn't go through that wars that he had to. He used IQ. He used his skill, and he got the job done. And I think if you look at this Horiguchi fight and the fight on Contender Series this week, there was a fight where um, it was a main event, actually, where the guy who lost the fight had 11 minutes of clinch control out of 15 minutes and lost because he wasn't putting out any volume. He was getting hit. And if you look at Caldwell versus Horiguchi, most of that fight was on the ground with Caldwell holding Horiguchi down, but Horiguchi landing strikes from bottom. Yeah. So the judges, I think, are starting to turn the corner on, you know, the idea that you can just wrestle somebody and, and Keep steal them, a hold win. them down and steal a win. It looks like you know they're starting to value more uh, activity from bottom or activity from the clinch, where you're throwing elbows or whatever, than just you know holding somebody. Now that being said, if you're going to wrestle somebody like a, like Khabib or somebody who's like really an elite wrestler that advances positions a lot, you're yeah. not going to win. <laughs> yeah, but Khabib's style too is like he'll let you up. And, and then, then you throw you yeah. down again. And then you're like, oh, he makes you work to get on like uh, like all fours and to kind of stand up, waste the energy. He just lays on you. And then guess what? Boom. He throws you to the ground yeah. again. So he plays that cycle. So, I mean, he's always scoring. He's always changing position. He's always punching from those positions. So, I mean, that's better. But I hate the, the, the whole concept of if I get the takedown, I win the round. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you'll have like a close battle and then one guy might be edging in the striking 
And then they never really score low kicks. Low kicks are non-existent in mm -hmm. MMA scoring. And then all of a sudden, boom, one takedown, he yeah, wins the 10 round. seconds left, they, they yeah. give them the Even round. though Buddy scored freaking 20 extra leg kicks and started picking away, that one takedown wins the round. So that's always a frustrating thing to see. Yeah, people do give more significance to, for whatever reason to takedowns. Yeah, it's, always. It's been the, it's always nothing happens like at the bottom. But that's what I'm saying. I think that that idea it's is changing. Yeah, I, I like it. Effective grappling Absolutely. versus just grappling, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even if I, I I agree with it, if if even if I'm on my back and you're just laying there, but I'm throwing elbows, I'm trying to hit, I'm trying to create offense, I'm the one starting, I'm being first, I'm attacking, like that's got to score, it has to score. Main event this weekend: Francis Ngannou versus uh, Junior Dos Santos. I'm going to throw this question at you: How does Junior Dos Santos win this fight? Um, it, at, from as a striker, he's got to move his feet, so it's um. Trying to play the in and out. It's trying to play the fainting on the outside. So you basically need Francis to bite on something. I mean, because right now you're going to be terrified to just enter. So by fainting, trying to create off rhythms, um, attacking on angles. Um, but you have to faint. That's the key. You have to faint, get him to kind of throw something and then kind of shoot in. Or um, you have to just attack with a jab probably one of your quickest weapons in and out move in and out move hit the low kick move and then um, eventually try to wear him out with singles you got to hit and move with singles and then as the fight progresses that's when uh, that power kind of decreases and then you can go or try to clinch up on him if when you're inside try to clinch up on him um, on the outside hit and move there's something very interesting that happened uh for this particular camp for Francis, and I touched on this with him last week, is that he's not working with Fernand Lopez anymore. Fernand Lopez was his coach from France. Yeah. And um, after that terrible fight with Derek Lewis, he went back and started working with Fernand again. Had that huge win over Blades, huge win over Velasquez. And for this entire camp, he hasn't been, he's been talking to him every now and then, he said. But, but it seems like there worked. was some sort of falling out, and now he's working back in Vegas yeah. with Dewey Cooper, Eric Nixick, okay. and, uh, and those folks in, in Vegas. Do you think that that's going to have any sort of impact? Can that have an impact, and can that change his, the way he fights? Because one of the big issues that he had in that Derek Lewis fight was he was trying new stances, new stuff that really wasn't doing much. And he sorry, he was with um Dewey Cooper when he was in that uh fight. Yeah, I believe so when he was when he was in that uh, camp with yeah. uh I don't know. I I don't know enough about um, I think Fernand was in his corner, but Fernand. most of that camp was in Vegas. Yeah, I don't know enough about him to probably make a statement on that. I've met him. I've seen him at the last TKO show we shared a dressing room. And this past weekend, I even asked uh Cedric Dumbe about him cuz Cedric Dumbe has worked with him in the past. And um I don't know. I just heard different things that um Maybe his style isn't for everybody, kind of thing. So um, I don't know. Is that I, what, I don't is know. That what Dumbe had to say? Was that yeah, he's basically, yeah. he's worked with them. It just it didn't really work for them. So he's gone elsewhere. But uh, he seemed when I, when I was in the change room watching his guys strike. Um, and who did he my have? Martial that was with Lapalus? Yes. Damien Lapalus, yeah. Yeah, and he's with... Um, he's with Gunn. Gunn, yeah. Gunn, yeah. So, but um, just from... I mean, I'm, I've been around the sport long enough that if I see someone holding pads, I see the concepts, I see what he's showing, I see his different um, ideas as his... Uh, as the, the guy was a southpaw, so I was like, it was pretty good. So, I mean, I can tell he's very knowledgeable as a coach based on his pad work. So, I mean... I don't know. And he had Francis, which was successful. And so um can't speak for him. But, I mean, I think it all comes down to Francis. If Francis believes this is the better move and he acts it, he believes it, and he trusts in the style, that's the number one thing. I mean, even in um, – it's it's the belief in the coach. You might not have the best coach, but if you believe in it, you'll fight like that, and then you get the response. So, Well, this is the thing about this fight that makes me a little bit uncertain is, like, if you asked me – 
you know, would I bet on Francis Ngannou as like a whatever minus 250 favorite? I mean, I think that Francis has a great chance of winning that fight. But like, if you would have asked me how can Derek Lewis beat Francis Ngannou, I would have said he's got no chance. Yeah. And the only way that Derek Lewis was able to beat Francis Ngannou was because Francis Ngannou that night beat Francis Ngannou. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, I think that if Francis Ngannou would have fought the same way that he's been fighting, that he fought Blades, that he fought Velasquez, if he would have fought Derek Lewis that way, it would have been done in the first round. Yeah. Because Derek Lewis doesn't really have that style that could move out of the power, so he'll sit there and get hit with it. Yeah, that's where I think. That that's where I think Junior has that. He's got to move his feet, and I think Junior's great at that. But the problem is, I feel Junior does get hit quite a bit, um, and yeah, it does, that's the problem. And that's the big issue. That's why I'm saying the key for Junior DeSantis is a single hit, move, get to get out, jab quickly, touch him with a jab, move, get Francis to chase him a little bit, circle him, maybe peck away with some front kicks, round kicks. But, I mean, easier said than done because even that single— he, For five uh, rounds. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe Naganu, you know, will gas a little bit chasing, uh, maybe mixes up the clinch, try to fatigue the arms a little bit. You're safest out or you're safest inside. Do not sit in mid-range with Naganu because ask Alistair Overeem what happens, you know? Like, that's the last place you want to be. It's another pretty big surprise that came out this week. Uh, Brett Okamoto was interviewing Dana White, and Dana revealed that uh, Jose Aldo has signed— uh, a new deal with the UFC. Jose was saying that at the end of this year he was going to retire. He's going to go into boxing and maybe even try his hand at soccer because he loved playing soccer. Really? Um, yeah. And uh, just wanted to leave MMA. He was kind of getting tired of it. Now it appears he signed an eight fight. Eight. Eight fight. I mean, think it's about probably his last one. Then, well, the thing yeah. about Aldo is everybody thinks Aldo's this old guy. Aldo's younger than Francis Nagano, which is like yeah. he's Francis is so new to the sport. How old is? Um... I think they're thirty-two. I think they're both thirty-two. Yeah. Damn, that's young. Um, yeah, younger Aldo's, than like me. A, Aldo's like thought, a week younger than Francis Ngannou, which is weird. I thought Jose would have been older than me. Yeah, Damn. he might be. Yeah, well, when's I your guess. birthday? I'm uh, 1985. I think, yeah, I think he I think. He and I'm 84. Oh, yeah, then he is younger than you. Oh, yeah, Aldo's born in uh, 86. Yeah, a year younger. Yeah, Damn. He's, he's turning 33 in September. Yeah, but it, at, we always use the analogy of the race car. I can have a race car, and I could race it once a year, or I can have a race car and race it 10 times a year. If I race it once a year, that car is going to last 20 years. If I race it 10 times a year, that car might last 10 years, you yeah. know? And we spoke to Maurice Green last week about that. Like, Maurice was saying that he's older, but he has so few miles on him that he thinks that as a heavyweight, that's just so valuable for yeah. him. That was my confidence going into my fights with guys more experienced. I'm like, you're saying this guy's got 100 professional fights. His body's got to be worn down. I'm the new Ferrari. That's the old one. That was always my kind of line. I'm like, that's the worn out one. This is the new one. That was always my favorite line. But that gave me confidence. So instead of sitting there, oh, my God, this guy's more experienced than me. What am I going to do? You change the thought, and you're like, hey, he's got mileage. He's got banged up so many times. His knees are probably sore. His probably head's taken a lot of shots. So for, it's better for me. That was my thought. And you think about that with Korean Zombie also. Korean Zombie is a very similar age to uh, Aldo. And when I look at it right now, yeah, he's like a couple months younger than Aldo, but uh, only has seven fights in the UFC, whereas Aldo's been a lot more active. Yeah. So I don't know if that plays a, a factor, but um, I actually think Aldo versus Zombie as a rematch would be um, phenomenal. I think that yeah. would be, a, at this stage in the game, would be a really interesting rematch to see. But the question with Aldo for me is where what can Aldo do from here? Like, do you, is it title run or yeah, is like, it what, fun what's, fights? What does Aldo you know? have left? Like, what? Yeah, yeah, what's what's the utility of a Jose? I, Aldo? I would like. I, I I still think he's probably got the potential to maybe one more nice title run, a few big fights. But I think it would be fun to see Aldo with with some more money fights. You know, 
Get him in some exciting matchups, and I mean, it'd have to look at the division. I mean, to you've see. got like Yair Rodriguez, like there's yeah, a lot of people who like, fought I yet. would love that. Calvin Cater, even the um, Mega Med Sharapov would be a, yeah, a crazy right. fight. Yeah, I mean Ortega, Ortega, like, but so he was supposed to fight Ortega, right? Then that fight yes. got canceled. Maybe I can't. I'm remember. pretty sure that it was <laughs> supposed to happen, but yeah, like I mean, give him some fun fights. Maybe give him some uh, lightweight guys too for fun. That maybe. You know, he yeah. might want to challenge a move to lightweight himself, is certainly you know? a, an idea. Because I know he's always around. had trouble making that yes. weight, right? Yes. So, um, yeah, move him to lightweight. Maybe some uh, good catchweight fights could be fun. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that idea as well. Um, and I'm interested to see what he has left because I, I think that Aldo is still a very good fighter. He lost to Volkanovski in Rio, which is tough, but I'm not sure if anybody really knows just how good Volkanovski is. Like, Volkanovski has barely lost a round. Yeah, yeah, like, he no could, phenomenal. He could be as good as Holloway or maybe even better than Holloway. We haven't seen yet. We haven't seen anybody give Volkanovski real trouble. I mean, Mendez in the first round pieced him up a little bit, but then yeah. Volkanovski ended up tiring him out and winning, right? Volkanovski's so, really going under the radar in my yes, eyes, you know? For sure. He's really climbed up. And, to go into Brazil and win three rounds against a yeah. partisan a crowd. And before that, you're kind of like, I don't know, who is this guy? I mean, you probably have been following him because you're you know, really invested in it. But someone like me, who's I'm more than a casual fan, and I still really didn't hear about him that much. So now he's right making the headlines. So that's what you want. For sure. And uh, he's likely going to fight in uh, October next when they bring the UFC to Australia. So that'll be interesting to see. And th- that could be against the Holloway and Edgar winner. So that would be a, that would be a fun fight. That's what Volkanovski should be getting next as a title Absolutely. shot. Absolutely, yeah. After beating Aldo in that fashion, 30-27. Yep. Uh, like, if you look at how many rounds Aldo had lost prior to that in fights that went to the distance, like, I think Volkanovski won more rounds on those three judges' scorecards than Aldo has lost rounds, <laughs> if you, like, go back. Yeah. It's close to that. So uh, good on uh, on Volkanovski there. But uh, I, I do want to see what Aldo does have left. I agree with you. I think some fun fights would be good. And I think Aldo still has a chance to get back into the title picture yeah, in, with for time. Sure. I mean, I still think, like, it's weird to say, but he's still trying to figure out the new Aldo in himself, it almost feels like. He came in being this savage low kicker, and then all of a sudden you've seen him come in, and all of a sudden he was only boxing yeah, at one point. You're weird. like, where's his low kicks, you know? Like, his most successful weapon, he stopped throwing it for a few fights, and then you're seeing it back a little bit more, so he's kind of like almost playing with different what works and with his age changing. Maybe that's where the IQ and the experience is coming in, but you see a little bit of changing in his striking, so who knows? And uh, you watched the at least some of the uh, Artem Lobov versus Malinashi fight. I did, fight. Yeah, yeah, I did. So you, you had scored it a little bit differently? Yeah, because uh, when I was at Glory, there was a lot of like trash talking. Me and Todd Grisham and a bunch of us, they, they were like, Malinaji is going to destroy Lobov. I, I felt the opposite. Not I thought Artem was going to win. And I sat there, I was like, okay, I personally think Pauly will win. He should win. But I've, I've sparred with MMA gloves, I've sparred with boxing gloves, and I do bare-knuckle sparring. I believe in bare-knuckle sparring. So I do, um, I've done it all the time. So I know and understand the differences. And I mean, a lot of kickboxers won't go into MMA because they're scared of the smaller glove. So now you're going to an even smaller glove. So at least Loboff is used to an MMA to bare-knuckle is closer than an 8-ounce to a 10-ounce to that bare-knuckle. Malinaji had hand issues. But my that, was, that was what I what my deciding factor was was Artem just went five rounds with Jason Knight five hard rounds his hands held up yeah Paulie had terrible hands for his whole career in terms of them breaking all the yeah. time I mean obviously he had great and he hands broke in, it again in, the in ring. this fight too yeah so I mean you had you basically have no glove you have no padding no support he's he hasn't been in a competitive boxing match in years and years and years 
Artem just had a bare knuckle fight yep. and won against a really tough guy. Like I, I just thought everything was going in Artem's favor. Aside from, I guess, if you look at just textbook boxing, yeah. you got to give the uh, the edge to and the knowledge that Malinaji has. I still think Malinaji won the fight. I think the first three rounds, it was intelligent boxing from Malinaji, jabbing the body, turning, using the check hook, angling off, slipping punches. He was landing better in the first three, but. The adjustment for Loboff was to come forward and start pressing more, which I think the last two rounds you can give him. But uh, what I don't like about the bare-knuckle boxing, it's the two-minute rounds. I don't understand that because what you notice, when you take the gloves off, you're a little bit more hesitant to throw. You're not just going to go in there, hey, round one, and start blasting your hands out. You're, you're hesitant. You're gonna, you don't want to break your hand. So there's a lot more of that waiting period, the feel-out period. So in a two-minute round... It might take you a minute, a minute and a half. So you're only there's only real action at the end of the round. So I find it really slow, not enough punching. I would prefer maybe even a long five-minute round even would be better with bare knuckle than it would be to have a two-minute round. I think their idea for them was two minutes, they're going to fight harder, like almost like a glory style. Three rounds, three minutes, let them fight, all action. But the problem is with bare knuckles, you can't do that. So it ends up being a slow fight. I don't, I don't love it. I personally don't love it. I like it. I think I would be great at fighting it. I think it teaches you a lot, but I think the rules, I think the time length should be a little bit longer, personally. Well, here's my question for you about bare-knuckle boxing, because I've been giving this some thought. Do you think that bare-knuckle boxing is the perfect level playing field for boxers versus mixed martial artists? Yes. Yeah, okay. That's that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know what, from now on, if there's going to be a beef between a boxer... In a mixed martial artist, go bare knuckle, or even an MMA glove. Even an MMA glove. Let let a boxer boxing only. Yeah, but I I I think, and I know bare knuckle allows it. I think to give it a little bit of fairness, um, you you have that little. You need that little bit of clinch. Mm -hmm. It makes it fair for the MMA guy. That's why I think that the rules of of bare knuckle boxing, I think, are a perfect level playing field for boxers versus mixed martial artists. You know, boxers. The biggest issue with boxers against mixed martial artists is if you took. Takedowns and kicks, right? If you, took, if you took Lomachenko and put him against somebody who's at the very bottom of 135 in the UFC, and there's takedowns allowed and kicks allowed, I know Lomachenko has something of a wrestling and, and, and kicking background, yeah, but, but still, but still like, you're not training it every day. Like, Lomachenko loses. He probably loses yeah. because you, of the, like, in, in, ex, in UFC rules, like yeah. MMA rules. I don't know. I, CM Punk will probably beat Lomachenko. Well, he is a lot bigger than him. Yeah, but, but still, uh, yeah. 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 I don't know about that one. That was just a little jab, but I still think he does. Yeah. So, but th- if you if you take the bare knuckle boxing rules, you're doing no, it's fair. like basically strictly a boxing rule set. But you've got the, the smaller gloves. You got some clinching. Like I think that you're not going to get kicked. You're not going to get taken yeah. down. But no, you're right. You know, I actually agree with that. That's yeah. where they should sell their beefs. They should almost have an entire bare knuckle it's boxing league. It's almost fun that way. Yeah. yeah. They should do a bare knuckle boxing league that just takes old, former boxers and former or even active boxers and. Former like mixed martial UFC guys and just put them against each other. I would love watching that. And uh, and it sounds stupid, but it's probably safer than like uh, sure. than your traditional boxing, your kickboxing, or even MMA. I agree with you because people are going to be less adverse to risk. Yeah, there's going to be less output because you're more hesitant. Two, you're not going to throw your punches as hard because you don't want to break your hand. It looks uglier because you'll get more lacerations and cuts and bruises and swollen eyes. But I think what it actually does brain damage wise. I think it might be even better. It's always that analogy I said. Oh, because a you don't want to hit times. somebody too hard in the head with your bare yeah. hand. It's the football versus rugby analogy I always use. It's it's more dangerous to play football because you have this helmet and shoulder pads. You don't care now. You'll run at someone full force, dive at them with your head, and try to kill somebody. 
But with rugby, and you have no helmet on now, the chances of you going in there and going head first into someone, very rare because you're going to get a concussion too kind of thing. So um, there ends up being more brain damage in boxing and football than you would in probably bare knuckle and rugby. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's go to our first guest. Um, he's somebody with a very interesting um, spin on things because he uh, took a fight with uh, Duran Wynn on very short notice. Um, came back to the UFC, was out of the UFC, went back to the regional scene. Now he's back in the UFC, ended up winning fight of the night in a, a three-round loss to uh, Duran Wynn. Had a really good account of himself, looked really good, wasn't completely outclassed by a guy that's considered a top prospect in the UFC. And that's Eric Spicely, who trains at TriStar Gym in Montreal. And uh, he joins us now on the TSN MMA Show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. I'm now joined by Zabrina. Eric Spicely, uh, a big fight, uh, yeah, a big fight this past weekend against uh, Duran Wynn. Didn't go your way, but uh, a fantastic showing for you, uh, despite the circumstances. So how did that fight end up coming about? Um, actually, I think his opponent got injured or something. Uh, I was at the movies um, watching a terrible movie uh, called The Dead Don't Die. I don't know if you've seen it. The reviews for it are bad, and I went to see it anyway. Uh, but I was eating popcorn, and then my manager called me and just said, welcome back to the UFC. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of, you know, like out of nowhere, um, six days notice. He called me on pretty much Sunday uh, or Saturday night at like midnight, so Sunday. Uh, yeah, fuck. I don't know, man. It was just crazy. It was just kind of a, it's been a whirlwind of a week, like. Um, I was trying to fight in July, so I wasn't really uh, in the diet mode yet. And, uh, yeah, just had to stop everything and, and kind of just go. Well, you've piqued my curiosity here. When you go and you see that a movie's got bad reviews, what compels you to go and see it? Uh, well, Bill Murray was in the movie, so I was like, it could be pretty good. I don't know, you know? It doesn't have a lot of stinkers. That's true. Uh and it's, it's, like, supposed to be bad. It's like a, a B horror movie, you know? But it's, like, bad on purpose. Like, uh... But I don't know. He called me, and I couldn't even focus, so I just laughed. Because <laughs> he, he's like, how's your weight? I'm like, you know, it's good. It's great. Uh, and in my head, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm probably, like, 212 or something. So, you know, because I was, like, shoveling popcorn in my mouth. Like, all this salt. I just had french fries. Like, I was so stressed out. I get home and I jump on the scale and it was said 208. So I'm like, oh, that's not bad. I go running. I'm down at 206. I wake up at 206 and then I just, you know, I called Lockhart and I just made it. I don't know. Everything came together so perfectly for this. Yeah, I guess that's lucky because it, it is just a matter of a couple pounds. Like if, if they call you and you're at 213 versus 207 or 208 or whatever you said, and that can make a world of difference. Yeah. I mean, even just mentally, like it's. I was like, okay, 20 pounds. I, you know, I, I honestly had never cut that much in my life. Even, like, when I fight, normally I'm really low. Like, I'm not a big 85-er. I'm, I'm normally, like, 199 fight week, 13 pounds. Like, you know, I, I've never been 20 pounds over a fight week and plan to make weight in five days. Like, that's just not who I am. Uh, so I was a little worried. And, uh, and, you know, when you come in on short notice, you have to make weight. Like, that's one of the big things. Like, the guys that take a short notice fight and then they don't make weight, like, they get cut. Yeah, dude, just this morning like for Contender Series weighed in seven pounds over at welterweight. It was not a great look. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's a bad, it's, and it's terrible for your career. Like, if that happens, uh, you know, uh, trust me, it's very hard to get in the UFC the first time. It's even harder to get back in there. So, 
this is the only kind of circumstance you're going to get back in is short notice, six days. You know, like I, I didn't have my medicals done. I needed all this stuff for the commission. Like it's very stressful. But like if you want to fight and you want to be in the UFC, like this is what you have to do. Absolutely. And uh, you ended up with a big bonus. Um, I went on your topology page, and I think it said your disclosed earnings to that date were 114000 So getting an additional 50000 that's almost half of what you've made in the UFC to date in one night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, I, look, like, I wasn't in fight shape. I told myself, I'm either going to knock him out in the first round, or we're going to get fight in the night, and I'm just going to make it the most exciting grittiest fight because i know i don't have gas for three rounds to like dominate him you know what i mean and like look he had a full camp and he was if not more tired just as tired as i was so i think that shows the level of fighter that i am that i can take a fight on six days notice cut 22 pounds go all three rounds and make it you know exciting and, and throw in to the last bell um but that was my game plan that's what i i wanted to do i feel like i executed it perfectly uh so it's not really like a loss, you know, like it's a win-win situation. That's what I was going to say. It's a strange circumstance because usually it's hard to get fighters on the phone after they've had a loss over the weekends. But so many different things went your way over the last week that you almost have to consider it a win, which is odd given the circumstances Aaron, of the sport. Aaron, I'm on top of the world right now. Look, I was <laughs> trying to get a fight on the regional circuit for three and three, you know what I mean, before this. Like, I'm back in the UFC. I'm back to where I want to be. You know, yeah, I took a loss. But it doesn't set me back in my career. Dana loved it. Mick loved it. Sean Shelby loved it. Uh, you know, I got a new contract, a four-fight deal. I got a bonus. Like, I mean, I did the best that I could for six days' notice. And that's, I feel like as a fighter, like, doing the best you can is better sometimes than winning. Like, not leaving it all out there, you know, not saying that guys quit, but, like, guys look for a way out, like, most guys that take fight on short notice, like once they hit a little resistance, they take a knee and just let the guy, you know, cover up and, and pounce on them, and then they, they look for a way out because they know, okay, I get an automatic next fight. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to know when you're in the moment whether you're winning rounds, whether it's an exciting fight and all of that. How encouraged were you when after the fact you get that video posted on Instagram from Dana White commending you and, and Duran on such a great fight? Because um, he doesn't do that know, very often. I, he doesn't do that at all. And, uh, you know, I, I've honestly fought very conservative sometimes in my career. I've, you know, relied a lot more on grappling, which isn't fan-friendly. So it, it felt good to just let it all... You know, everyone says, like, oh, I'm working on this. I'm, I'm working on my striking. It's like, it felt good to just go out and do it and not have a care in the world. I wasn't like, oh, I, you know, if I lose this fight, I'm going to get cut. If I lose, I'm not going to make enough money. Or, you know, I didn't think about anything. I just, like, had the most fun I've ever had as a fighter in my career. You know, when I fought Derek Sawyer at Liverpool, it's the last fight of my contract. I've lost two in a row. I'm going in knowing, like, I got to win. I got to do this. I got to, you know, I got to, you got to do all these things. And I, you're not even thinking about fighting. Like, you're, this fight, it was like, who cares what happens? I'm, I have enough gas to take him out in the first round. And if not, I'm going to just let it all hang out, you know, let it fly. And look, I mean, he's a stud. He's, he's a prospect coming in. I gave him, I think, the toughest fight of his career. I had him rock. You know, we, we both, like, we both threw down and had an exciting fight. Yeah, you'd absolutely have to think so, looking back at what he's, uh, he's faced previous to this. Um, seems like he's been fairly dominant. He even fought a 205 last time against Tom Lawler. To be five five and fighting a 205 is pretty unheard of. 
Yeah, exactly. And, like, you know, he threw – I showed how – like, I, I feel like my stock raised in that fight. I feel like his stock raised in that fight. You know, I gave him a tough fight, and he got the experience he needed. I got back in the UFC. Like, it's a win-win for everybody, you know? Yeah, and now, it seemed like, like a lot of people time, were turning that fight down. Yeah, I mean, no one wants to fight a guy who's 5-0 and on short notice. Like, it, it does less – like, if he goes out there and he, he crushes you, like, you look like an idiot. You know what I mean? But, like, on six days' notice, like, you know – you're hoping for the best. Like, yeah. And like I said, if you want to fight, you want to be in the UFC, like you have to jump on these kind of opportunities. They don't come around very often. Like, so I, you know, even when my manager called me, I'm like, look, I'll kill myself to make weight. I'll do whatever I need to do. I'll do all the medicals. Like I found out on Sunday, Monday, I had to get medicals done. I live in a foreign country. Uh, it's very hard to get things done. Um, you know, and then I had to fly it on Tuesday. I still had to get medicals done. I had to get, a social security card for my license to fight there because South Carolina is crazy. Um, I had to get another blood test. I had to, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, if you want to fight and this is really, truly what you want to do, you'll find a way to make it happen. I think a lot of guys that probably turn it down don't actually want to fight. Now that you were able to enter that fight with that sort of freedom and see how it went, do you feel like you're playing with house money now? I mean, this is your second stint in the UFC. I'm not sure if you thought you'd be getting back here. Uh, now that you have, is that your mindset going forward? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all up from here, you know? Like, I can just, I can take the time now to, to keep getting better. I mean, if I can do that on six days notice, like, what can I do with a full camp? You know what I mean? And, and I feel like I've made mistakes in my career before. And I, I even told Grant Fitzgerald, like, when I first got to the UFC, I feel like I didn't know how to fight. And I was just, like, you know, winging it. And now it's like I feel like uh, I've learned so much. Everything's in place to get better and to have a good career. And, you know, like I said, if I can do that on six days notice, I feel like I can compete with anybody on a full camp. You had posted after the fight that your bank account was overdrawn going into this particular fight. Um, how much of a relief is this for you financially? Like you said, you were looking for regional fights that were going to get you three and three. I mean, it's a huge relief. Uh, you know, I'm not like, I'm not struggling. I, I actually have a job that I just started outside of MMA I started a CBD company with uh, Joe Duffy, another UFC fighter. But, you know, as with anything, investments and stuff like that, it takes a long time. So it's not like that's going to be paying us ridiculous amounts of money. But, like, now I have the freedom to – now I can, you know, I can hire George Lockhart, which I did for my weight cut. Um, I'm going to work with Lockhart. I'm gonna, I want to get to 170, and I think I can really be a force there. Um I just have the money and the freedom to be able to do that now. And, like, I can travel. I can get the, the best training possible. I can, you know, buy gear. I can buy all the, the food I need for my diet. Like, everything is just the doors are reopened. You know, I, I, get, I got a new lease on my career, which is, like I said, so rare to do that in the UFC. You know, I feel like a lo if you look at how many people are in the UFC and then get back, it's very, very low. Yeah, absolutely. This, that second wind is, uh, is definitely hard to catch in, in MMA. Um, when you came to the cage, you came out to the, uh, the Chambers Brothers. I sent you a message actually after the fight saying, what was that song? Because I thought it was Otis Redding. I, know I'd, I knew I had heard it before. So how, how did you fall on that song? Usually people are, are you know, going with high-energy songs. And, you, know, you, you chose one of the lower-energy Chambers Brothers songs, but a, a great song nonetheless. Um, I think it just kind of summed up my whole feelings for this. Like, I'm perfectly relaxed. I'm perfectly happy, you know, like, whatever happens out there happens out there. Like, I, I had no stress whatsoever at all. 
I mean, I, like I said, I had the hardest weight cut, like the biggest weight cut I've ever done. I had to do all these medicals. I had a, like, none of that mattered. And I think the song kind of really, it reflects that for me. Uh, that's one of my favorite songs that I actually, I used to be a big skateboarder and very into skateboarding. And uh, one of my favorite skateboarders, um, he used that as one of his songs. And it was like such a very different video part. It wasn't high energy and it wasn't like rap or anything like that. It was just like a chill I, I don't know. That that song just it just feels really good, and uh, that's how I wanted to feel when I walked out to the cage. No stress, no you know big bright lights again, and I need to win this fight, and I need to do this and that. It's just like perfect relaxation. Yeah, when I had read about your background in skateboarding, I thought maybe you know you'd come out to either rap or like skate punk. It seems like those are the two genres of music that skateboarders tend to listen to. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean. Even this video that I was talking about, his name is Ethan Fowler, you know, and he rides for a company that is mostly like everyone skates to death metal and stuff. And then it's this one video part that's completely different than everybody else. And it's, you know, it, and that stands out to me where it's like, oh, this is soul song in the middle of a, a death metal skate part uh, or skate video. So I felt like for me, I just wanted to kind of go out and be relaxed and, and just be calm and, and, and kind of be present in the moment. What music did you listen to when you were a skateboarder back, like, I guess, 10 years ago when you were really, like, that was your, your main your main thing? I, I listened to a lot of, like, skate punk. I listened to a lot of soul, rap music, kind of everything. Um, I listened to a lot of, like, Fleetwood Mac and, like, oldies and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm a weird guy. So you weren't, like, listening to Rancid and uh, the swinging udders all the time and stuff like that? I mean, I, I was, for sure, and I was, like, had that mindset and mentality, but... Um, I don't know, that kind of uh, music all the time is exhausting, you know? <laughs> it, you know, it, it is. But you, you listen to, um, I imagine you played Tony Hawk Pro Skater when, when that had come out, the first one. Those songs I could probably still sing to you just because of how much I played that game. Of course, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a classic for sure. <laughs> I mean, that's like what I, how I got my music taste as a kid, you know? Who's that song Superman by? That, that, that's, that's one that sticks with. I think that was Goldfinger, maybe? I might be off on that. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I can't. I can't remember who. I think it is Goldfinger. Yeah. Um, but like Mill and Colin, you know what I mean, like stuff like that. Like those are all just classics. Those bring up like feelings of, of nostalgia whenever you hear any of those songs. And the other thing I noticed when you came out to the cage was that you had the Canadian flag. So you're repping Canada now going forward. Yeah, and I and I have uh, you know my a few fights I've repped Canada. When I fought in Denver, I repped Canada, and when I fought in Liverpool. Um, you know, I live here. Um, I, I'm not that I, I'm not like uh, prideful to be an American or anything like that. But like, you know, this is my home. This is where I spend all my time. I really love it here. Um, and yeah, I also really like red shorts. And you know, when you rep America, you don't get red shorts. So, what do you like the most about living in Canada? What's the biggest difference uh, having grown up in America? I think you grew up both in Rhode Island and and near Boston or somewhere in Massachusetts versus in Montreal. Yeah. It's just a different feeling. Like, it's, uh, I don't know, it feels really good to be here. Everyone kind of cares about each other. And, you know, I think that comes from, like, the political background of living in a socialist country, you know. I've spent a lot of time in Europe, and it's like I get the same feelings, you know, that we all do kind of care about one another, and we're all looking out for the greater good of one another versus, like, a capitalistic kind of uh, policies and stuff like that.
Well, we're not really an openly socialistic country, but, but we do take we, we don't we don't shy away from the idea of socialism. I guess that's probably the best way of putting yeah, Canada. That's what I mean. It's not it's not fully socialist, but it's also just like uh, there is uh, some hints of socialism, you know? Yeah, we've got our public health care, you know, all yeah, exactly. we have lots of different public services. Um, so are you trying to become a citizen here? I, I am, actually. Duffy and I were just talking about that. We just were in a meeting, and, uh, yeah, we're talking about trying to get our residency. Because I, I, I cross the border a lot, and they, you know, they don't give me a lot of shit, but they're kind of like, uh, you know, you cross a lot. Like, what are you doing? And uh, I'd rather just not be a problem, you know? Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. And um, where, where, not, in, Mon- where not, in Montreal do you stay? I'm, I'm not trying to pay Canadian taxes, though. You guys are nuts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, the health care doesn't come for free. You know, that's 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 it's how true. we have the public health care. <laughs> and nicer Quebec, parks. Quebec is, Quebec is crazy. The parks here are amazing. There's Wi-Fi in the parks. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. But these are the kind of things that these high taxes will pay for. Exactly. Um, I live right near TriStar, so... It's uh, it's not bad. So you're not like right in downtown Montreal. You're in Mont Royal, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, TMR or VMR, Ville de Montréal. So it's not bad. If I want to go downtown, I can. Um, there's, you know, I, there's just so much around, and it's everything that I love about a city. I, I spent most of my life in in Providence, Rhode Island, and New York. So it's like I feel like it's the best of both worlds. It's not too big, not too small, just right. But you did have something of a nomadic upbringing. I, I know that you had some, I guess, strife with your parents that uh, one of them or both of them were in, into drugs for a time and you, you didn't really like staying with them. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with my grandparents and uh, when I had to go live with my parents, I ended up running away from home. So I've been kind of on my own since I was about like 15 or so or something like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I like traveling. I like new experiences. I like to learn. And I think... The worst thing you can do is just never, never travel outside of your gym and, and, you know, see what it's like out there because then you don't know what you need to work on and what you need to get better at. So, I, you know, I've trained almost everywhere in the country. The only major gym I haven't trained in is AKA, um, which I would love to come to after this fight uh, if they'd have me. Well, your, your opponent yeah, trains I, there. You can just reach out to him. That's what I mean. As I would like to come. Some people are weird about that. Some people are not. But, I mean, I think TriStar is the best gym. Uh, that I've ever trained at. And, you know, I couldn't imagine training full-time somewhere else. And I think what makes us great is that we have constantly people coming in from all over the world. We have a, you know, we have a dorm system. Like, we get guys that come in, you know, Nazareth coming from Germany. Uh, you know, Norden's coming from Thailand. And there's just so many people come here to train, and it's amazing. What is it about skateboarding and fighting that you think you were drawn to um, back when you started doing either or both? Um, I, I think it's just like the self-sufficient process of it all, you know, like you train with a team and just like skateboarding, you skateboard and practice with your friends and it's a big community, but in the end, it's just you out there by yourself and you're, you know, you have to be accountable for everything you do. So, yeah, I don't know. I, it's a, it's a, they're both pretty crazy high pain, uh, things that I wish I didn't do all the time, but. I think I'll worry about it later on in life when I'm old, you know? Yeah, there's a certain fear, uh, fearlessness that comes with both of those things, but also a, a great degree of, uh, of creativity. And do you feel like that's how you can channel uh, that that part of your brain? Yeah, I mean, skateboarding to me is just, it's it's all being super creative and, and jiu-jitsu. Like, I took jiu-jitsu really fast. 
I got my black belt in like five years, which is like unheard of, especially with my instructor. Like my brain, that's just how it works, you know, and, and I can see things and I can pick them up right away. Like all the stuff that I was doing in the fight against Iran, I've never done before. Like I've practiced that step lead elbow maybe one time on the pads. Like I don't do tie clinch knees ever. I don't. And that's where you had your, most of your success with the tie clinch knees for for the most part. Yeah, everyone was like, where did that come from? I'm like, dude, I just made it up. Like, I've never really practiced it, which is probably why I didn't get the knockout. Because um, if I had better technique, I would have maybe finished him. Because I rocked him pretty hard. But, you know, I just like to have fun, and I like to learn, and I like to get better. So I think it's only up from here. And one thing you'd mentioned earlier was how hard it is to get that second opportunity in the UFC. And I think one of the reasons for that is because um, people have trouble humbling themselves to go back to the regional scene and, and to, to go back to that part of the thing when they've already been to the big show. It's a, a little bit demoralizing. You went back to CES. Was there a familiarity for you there going back to the regional promotion that got you to the UFC in the first place? I mean, I'm going to be honest. I love CES, but like fighting regionally sucks. It is awful. After being in the UFC... It's like being in flying first class and then you need to fly basic economy all of a sudden for a 20-hour flight. Like, it's, I mean, I've never flown first class, so I don't know, but, like, the organization, the production value, like, the money you're making, the level of opponents, like, everything like that is, is so high in the UFC. You know, to go back and do the same job for a fraction of the pay is tough. It's, I mean, awful. It's honestly awful. And, like, I was like, you know, maybe I should retire or just go get a job or something. And it's like, you know, this is what I love to do. And I think I told myself if I can make it to UFC the first time, I can do it again, you know. And that's, and I thought I had to win way more fights and, you know, try to build my brand a little bit more. And I got lucky. Like, everything kind of all came together. I have a great manager. Danny Rubenstein is, like, one of the best hardworking managers I've ever had. You know, like, it, it's it's trust me it's really hard and I, I can understand why most people would retire after fighting in the UFC and then trying to go fight like it's no fun and you're fighting just as hard of competition for a fraction of the pay I mean my my last two fights combined I don't think I even made half of what I made in this fight just for my show purse so it's tough but you have to be you have to go through that if you want to get back to the UFC you have to go through all those steps you know and that's one of, the, one of the good things about having a manager like Danny or, or like, you know, the, some of the bigger names uh, is that they have a lot of currency with the UFC. So, you know, if they call Danny and say, hey, do you have somebody that can step up and do this? Or, or if Danny is quick and sees that somebody's withdrawn and wants to lobby for you, that's always, it's always good to have that rather than to not have an agent. You know, a lot of people wonder about what the merits of having a good agent are in, in MMA. And that, that right there is one I mean, of the examples. You hit the nail on the head, you know, like as soon as Danny found out he was out, he was like, look, Spicely's ready. You know, he can make weight. He can do this. Like, let's let's go, you know. And then Mick was like, "Okay, let's do it. Like, you know what I mean? And and that because he has that relationship with them and, you know, he does have a lot of great fighters who are easy to work with. Danny's easy to work with. Like that relationship matters so much. And uh, I think if you're seriously like you're serious about your career and you're coming up and you're you're questioning whether you need a good manager or not I, I think you need to find a good one that that works for you and i think danny is the best fit for almost anyone coming up like he's a pleasure to work with he's easy to talk to you know he gets things done and from a media standpoint i'll agree i, I love working with danny whenever uh, i get the opportunity to do so um two knockouts in a row in the ces um in those two fights 
It wasn't something you were used to doing in the past. Your hands have gotten a lot better, a lot sharper, and that was shown in this fight against Duran. Has that been a real point of emphasis in the last year? Yeah, of course. Just trying to be more well-rounded and exciting. Um, you know, I want to... I want to... Also, at the highest level, you're not just going to take guys down and submit them, you know? And sometimes you need to... And I'm sure Duran knows that, too. Like, he knows he can't just wrestle guys. Like, you've got to strike. And you've got to get better at everything. So, I've been working nonstop... I mean, since I've been released from the UFC, I've been trying to get better and better at striking. And uh, I think it's really showing, you know, like I have no doubt that I have enough power to like drop guys and hurt them. So I think even if I drop to 170, it's going to be even better. And with that Canadian flag on your jersey, do you earmark events like UFC 240 in Edmonton or UFC in Vancouver in September? Do you look ahead to those and think, you know, maybe I should I should try to get on those cards because they're in Canada? Um, you know, I would love to represent Canada to the fullest, and uh, I don't think I think Edmonton's a little too soon. Um, I think I need to rest my brain a little bit. I'm going to start working with Lockhart and getting my weight down, and you know, I have some breathing room now. Um, but I'm down for whatever the UFC wants. I'd love to fight. Sanchez is fighting in Vancouver, and uh, we've already fought on the same card before. And I told myself I would never do that again. Because when he fought Ryan James and he lost, it, like, really sucked the life out of me. Uh, but, yeah, it's the same thing with Sanchez. He's fighting on all the Canadian cards now. And, you know, I, I really want to establish myself as someone who represents Canada as well. And there's also a card in Boston, so that, that couldn't hurt either. Well, apparently, according to reports. Yeah, I would, uh, I would love to fight in Boston. And I think that's maybe rumored to be October or November, which should be perfect amount of time. Um, honestly, I don't care. I love traveling. I grew up, I never left the country, you know what I mean? So I was always, like, whenever the UFC was in Brazil, I was like, hey, put me on. Uh, Liverpool, England, like, you know, not everybody wants to do that because it's expensive. It's going to take a lot of money out of your flights. You have to pay taxes. But, like, I, I care about the life experiences, you know what I mean? As someone who grew up poor and was never able to leave the country. I mean, the first time I left the country was when I fought Diego Santos. So, for me, it's exciting to be able to travel. You know, I, I don't particularly want to fight in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Nothing against them, but I want to go experience something new. So there, there's a card in Copenhagen. Like, I'd love to fight on that. You know, I, I'd love to step up and fight where people don't want to fight. I went back today and read some threads from uh, your fight with Thiago Santos when that fight was announced. You must go back and look at those and, and, and have a good chuckle, I'd imagine. I mean, I did when it first happened, and it was like the funniest thing in the entire world. <laughs> and you know, they tell you don't read that stuff, don't let that get to you, but of course, you have to read that. You know, I was reading that. Everyone saying I was going to get a, it was a, the first public execution. Uh, someone said maybe he had sex with Joe Silva's daughter and this was his punishment or something crazy like Jeez, that. That's, that's pretty harsh. It, it was really <laughs> funny, you know? And then the best feeling in the world is when you win and they got nothing to say. Yeah, I, I saw one, one was that this fight shouldn't be sanctioned. Um, yeah. Stuff along those lines. But now you've got Thiago's in the main event uh, fighting John Jones. He's he's bounced back as well, and he's moved up the weight class, and that seems to have helped him. So it's interesting how all this stuff yeah. works out. Yeah, I'm so glad because everybody keeps saying, man, how does it feel to know that you beat the guy fighting for the title and you're not in the UFC anymore? So I finally don't have to fucking listen to those questions anymore. I hate that. I'm so happy for Thiago. I wish him nothing but the best, like... I don't know. People just, I feel like they don't know, they don't have any social uh, awareness sometimes. 
Yeah, they, the thing is, it's a. I think it's a commodification issue. I think that people, when they interact with uh, different athletes from any sport, really online, is they they think of the athlete more as like a a, a commercial entity rather than as a human being, and I think that that's yeah. one yeah, of the problems of of I, sports in general. I'm a person, you know, and like everyone always starts off with, "Hey, I got to ask you a really messed up question." I'm like, "God, here we go!" Like, so you know, it's a terrible idea. You know, I don't want to talk about this. And then you're asking me, you know, how does it feel to be cut from the UFC and, like, the guy you beat is fighting for the belt? Like, Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> At least they give you the disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. And, I'm, and they're like, oh, you know, you know you beat that guy. I'm like, yeah, I know. I was there. I understand. I'm very happy for him. I'm going to work my way back to the UFC. And now here I am. And now, you know, I, I first started MMA. I said I never want to get fight of the night. And now it's like that was the most fun I've ever had in my entire career. I got an extra 50000 My stock went up. Dana loved it. Nick loved it. Sean loved it. So that's all I care about. There you go. Well, uh, it's great chatting with you, Eric. Thanks for doing this. And uh, congratulations, I guess, on a, a whirlwind week that really worked out for the best. Um, again, not you didn't get the win, but um, as you put it, you're on top of the world right now. Yeah. I mean, even when I'm not winning, I'm winning. So it's perfect, man. Thank you so much. That was Eric Spicely. Crazy to hear that kind of enthusiasm coming off a loss. Yeah, I mean, I think losses are positive. And, I, I mean, we talked about this a little earlier, but my fight with Nikki Holtzkin, I mean, it was my loss, um, but that loss fueled me to, to bigger things and got me more attention, and, and it's a fight that's still talked about. So, I mean, yeah, sometimes your loss can be a, a good thing in your career. Well, it's really hard to get that second stint in the UFC once you go back to the regional scene. And I think a lot of it is financial because if you're going back to the regional scene, you're probably not going to be as motivated when you're going to be making two and two yeah. than when you're going to be making whatever, 20 and 20. Yeah. And the potential of a, of a fight night bonus of $50,000. So, like, let's say Spicely was making 20 and 20. I don't know. I haven't seen what his purse was. It could be more. It could be less. But I'm certain that the bonus for fight of the night was more than what his win bonus would have been. Yeah, for sure. So when Easily. you look, Yeah. So when you look at that, like, he went from having – Minus two hundred and fifty dollars in his account, and he's probably going to get like seventy to eighty thousand dollars just from that one fight. And now he's back in the Unreal. UFC. Like he'll yeah. get another fight after that performance. Yeah, I mean fifty k for a bonus—that's uh, that's incredible. They said I mean, he needed to kill himself to make weight. He was like, uh, he was. He said he found out about a week before the fight, and he was in the movie theater just crushing popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> it's worth it. Yeah. Is worth it. Whatever it is, you got an extra fifty k in your pocket. That's yeah, not bad. You could do definitely not do worse. Bad so at all. I'm very happy for uh, for him. So yeah. uh, congratulations, despite the loss to uh, yeah. Eric Spicely, and congratulations to Duran Win on his uh, fight UFC entertainment. Debut. Man, if you're not going to win a world title, you better be entertaining to stay there, keep your spot, build it. I mean, that's how you build yourself. Put exciting fights on, for sure. So uh, let's recap our our last picks from uh, our previous show. Uh, I had uh, Kyoji Horiguchi, who ended up beating Darian Caldwell at the time, I think it was plus 120. And I had a parlay with Wynn and Rosenstruck. Now, here's the, the weird part. Mm-hmm. Wynn was supposed to be fighting Bruno Santos at the time. Santos had to pull out of the fight. Apparently, according to a report, he was busted by uh, USADA, flagged for an anti-doping violation because he was using a uh, hair growth uh, really? drug that had something illegal in it, oh, according boy. to him. So uh, that bet with Wynn becomes voided. And becomes just a straight up on Rosenstruck, which was like plus minus two fifty, so it ends up being oh, a four dollar win. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I end up uh, winning sixteen dollars, so I'm at one hundred thirteen dollars. You 
you're the one who curses fights when you bet, know, when you pick seriously. somebody the opponent or that person pulls out. So uh, John Lineker pulled out of the fight. Uh, you had Rob Font. Two so weeks that's in a push. A row. Yeah, two weeks in a row, and that's a push. And uh, so whoever you picked uh, for this week, they better be careful that their opponent uh, makes weight tomorrow. I got that Drake curse yeah, going exactly. on that they're talking yeah, it's the about the Valtellini curse. And uh, you had Rory McDonald who ended up uh, winning over. Uh, yep. Uh, not Lovato Jr. Lovato Jr. just beat uh, Musasi. Gracie. Over Gracie. I'm mm. getting my jujitsu guys confused. Yeah. I'm um, excited for him in Lima. That final is going to be insane. That yeah. Rematch. That big rematch. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is the thing that a lot of people are thinking, though. It's like this is a different Rory than the one that fought Lima. But at the same time, that's not really true because the, the Rory that fought Lima was the Rory was just getting into all of the religious stuff that he was yeah. getting into. So I don't know if that's necessarily yeah. the case. But I guess but we'll maybe, wait and see. Like I said, he might not approach it like a killer, he might approach it like a, a technician. And. That's positive as well. Yeah, so for sure. Um, all right. So uh, what are your picks for uh, this this week's minute? Um, I got to do. Card. I got to do a parlay here. Um, I really like Joseph Benavidez. Um, one because I got to meet him at the UFC Performance Institute, and his personality, his energy was really contagious and great. So I mean, great person, great athlete. Um, so I got to go with Joseph. I give you Benavides. two more reasons. What he's he's a Joe, yeah, and that's a good uh, Joseph, reason. yeah, and he's uh, he's also on this week's show. So yeah, yeah. there you go, boom. But uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the reasons like, keep piling I mean, up. <laughs> but I mean, it just he's one of those guys where he was in fight week and like went out of his way to say hi to everybody, smiley. You can see the way other UFC fighters look and talk to him and interact with him. Um, that's a true champion, true martial mm-hmm. artist, and I just again, it really stood out to me how he's, he's how the most he was. positive guy on the planet. Loved it. Yeah. So I mean, it was it was great to see, and um, he's, I, I'm a fan now. So mm-hmm. great, and um, I wanted to go Naganu, but minus two forty is a little too much. Won't move the needle enough. Um, so I'm gonna go trust in the uh, the OG Damian Maya. I think I gotta go with the old dog on the block. Yeah. So. Um, and he's you. at a minus 185, so I'm going to parlay those two boys. That's a bit high, but I think it's probably worth it. I mean, Maya seldom loses the guys that he's, you know, should be beat, yeah. beating. So, I mean, you know, if that makes sense. I hope so. I hope so. The lower the lower tiers of competition. I mean, Anthony Rocco Martin's on a four-fight win streak, so I'm not trying to take anything away from the guy. But Demian Maya, like, if yeah. he gets you once, you're yeah. in big trouble. I mean, it's there. I, uh, I trust. In Maya, I trust. I'm going to go with uh, Polo Reyes against Drew Dobry's plus 275. And the reason why is I just don't understand this line whatsoever. Like, Polo Reyes is a tough, tough fighter. And Drew Dober has, has while well, he's a great fighter, he's never been super impressive. This is probably going to be a three-round fight. It's probably, it might go the distance. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think Dober's going to get a finish is what I'm saying. I think that there's a much better chance of Reyes getting a finish. And I think at that price... Like, I thought the line on this was going to be maybe Dober minus 150 or something. And the line seems to keep climbing. Um, I saw Reyes as high as plus 300 earlier this week, and I, I just can't wrap my head around it. So I'm going to just take Polo Reyes strictly Straight based up, on value. Yeah. Um, was uh, I want to say, if my memory serves me correctly, Dober had some good low kicks in his last fight. Almost had a finish with low kicks or something. I can't remember. And I was, Dober like, super runs. impressed with it, or I'm confusing him with someone. I want to say he had a really good low kicks, and I, I think he trained with maybe a, a kickboxer too. His last fight was a loss to Benil Darius, where he got a triangle choked in the second round. Maybe confusing then, him with someone. Yeah, and then the previous fight was John Tuck. No, can't remember. Okay. Don't think so. You'd have to go back and watch. But, uh, yeah, I'm just surprised. Like It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, Polo Reyes in the UFC is like 4-2. and two. 
losses are to James Vick and Demir Hadzovic. Nothing yeah. to be like not not the greatest know. of records is eight and six record. I Do, mean, uh, yeah, uh, Mark I mean, uh, Polo Reyes. Yeah, but that that might be one of the reasons why people are looking. Like, yeah. you got to look past the record. Nine, Drew Dober is twenty and nine. Yeah, like this guy just, but this guy just pushes the pace like that. That's yeah. Again, records can be deceiving. So mm-hmm. if you look at who Dober's beaten, John Tuck, Frank Camacho, both good wins. Josh Berkman, who's now retired. Uh, Jason Gonzalez, who I don't think is in the UFC anymore. Uh, Scott Holtzman, that's a good win. That's a that was early in Scott Holtzman's career when he was before he was really growing. And uh, and then a loss to Efren Escudero, lost to Oban uh, Mer- Mercier, and lost to Benil Darius. So losing to good guys, too. And he's a finisher, too, it seems. Not it really. says um, wins by KO. 75% of his wins are by KO, it says. Uh, I don't think that's accurate. Then the UFC stats are messed up again. Yeah, because if you look at his UFC wins, he's got one submission. He's got one decision. He's got two KOs and then two more decisions, so mostly by decision. Yeah. Well, UFC let us Wait, down again. Le- leading you astray, Joe. I know. I'm just trying to make you justify your pick. Yeah, I well, see. That's, that's what I'm going to go with, though. I'm going to go like with it. it. I just think again, it's it's mostly just because I think the value is there. I just, yeah. I, I don't really. I think the line should be a lot tighter. It's not. It's not necessarily me saying I think Reyes is necessarily going to win. I just think he's got a much better chance of winning than these lines indicate. A lot of big favorites on this card that I think are. are Likely going to win, but there's yeah, it's it's hard, a, it's, it's for, hard to take such big for betting. Yeah, it's really hard to bet on this card. Yeah, like looking at these odds, and I just find that there's a lot of big favorites. There's no real close fights. I mean, I think the closest of the odds that I see now is uh, Maurice Green versus Albini. That's probably the closest um, based on odds. Yeah, that's yeah that that one is uh, very closely aligned. Surprised you didn't take your guy, the crochet boss. I know. I I even have a crochet boss hat. Did he send you one? I uh, he made it when he was in glory for me. Yeah, that's and awesome. it was funny because um, this I told is him a, I want one. I told him I'm getting one. This is a funny him. side story because um, Todd's like, "Hey, he got you that. This is amazing. Let's tell the story." It's like during his fight, we'll get the producer Bill Borson to um, kind of come on camera to us, and you wear the hat. I was like, Todd. My hair. Are you crazy? Yeah. I am going to put hat. a hat. He yeah. did. So oh, okay. Todd is like, I'll put it on. So we actually did it. So there's a, there's a clip of me and Todd in our commentary. So Todd had to put the hat on. I was like, I'm not going to mess my hair. The first time Todd Marie's was more green, brave than I you. appreciate it. You know, <laughs> I love the hat. But if you think I'm going to mess up my hair on my broadcast, on TV, you're nuts. So you Todd guys don't have hair on. and makeup ladies to come in between fights and, and touch you guys up? No, before the show only, yeah. not during. But still, I was like, my hair is the most important thing on me. Crazy. I'm not wearing a hat. But your voice is probably more important in that position than your hair. Yeah, but still. I, I don't blame you. That's a, that's still, a tough come one. On. If, if somebody put a hat on me while I'm doing my interviews and stuff, I'd, I don't I'd, wear I'd hats to begin out. with, and I'm not going to wear one on TV now. Yeah, when was last, I've never seen you wear a hat. I don't wear hats usually. Yeah. What, what if it's guy. like a really sunny day? You don't no, nope. hats. Hats and sunglasses. You don't wear sunglasses? I do. I have them here. Oh, you wear sunglasses. And there's actually yeah. bazooka sunglasses were just made. Mars really? Quest. Shut up. Yeah, they made uh, bazooka ones for me. Let me see. I, I made them. I designed them. This is the template one, but the new ones are uh, are made. Yeah, they're the nice. Gym. Yeah. I like them. Cool. So yeah, shout out Mars Quest. They have kind bazooka of that Persol signature uh, uh, bridge. Yeah, I like, I like. See, I like the Wayfarers, the the Ray Bans. So, but there's some things I didn't like about it. So um, I got them to make a little adjustments from the Wayfair. And, and how can people order these sunglasses? Uh, Mars Quest, or go on the Bazooka Kickboxing page. We have a link to it on the page. Promo code TSN MMA show saves you zero percent. So, yeah, perfect. Yeah, make sure you get that. Yeah, I should. That's, I should. That's, get my, one. that's my that's my shot at podcasts yeah. that have their their fancy sponsors. There you go. Where's our fancy sponsors, Joe? That's it. We're going to get them. They're coming. All right. Get MarsQuest on the phone. Yeah. Let's right. get them. <laughs> so um, 
let's throw to our, our next uh, couple interviews. Uh, this interview is with uh, the aforementioned Joe Benavidez, one of Joe's picks hey. for this week. Um, and he's going to be talking about his upcoming uh, battle rematch with uh, Juicier Formigia in the uh, flyweight division. Who knows what's going to happen with that division, but uh, Joe and I discussed that uh, coming up right here in this interview with Joseph Valtellini. Not with Joseph Valtellini, with Joseph Benavidez here. Yeah. here on the TSN Show. I'm now joined by Joseph Benavidez in the co-main event against Juicy A. Formigia in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Joe, how are you today? Very good, man. Very good. Thank you for having me. Of course. My pleasure. So uh, the latest news in terms of the flyweight division is that uh, Henry Cejudo is going under the knife, won't be able to fight for the rest of the year. Um, what are your thoughts on what's going on right now at flyweight? Do you, do you feel like this division still has a future? Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I certainly do because I have a fight in you know, 10 days. So that's kind of what I look at. And, you know, I guess you kind of got to address everything else after that, you know, because like I said, I have a fight in front of me. That's all I can really think about. So there's a future for me, you know, number one and number two guy. Um, On top of that, you know, there's some good signs of Dana saying this is a number one contender fight. You know, now with the Cejudo thing, you know, you don't know who it would be against. And him staying and sticking around, you know, they're continuing to make fights at flyweight, even with guys that lost, guys that won. Um, you know, kind of whoever's left. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some movement um, in it, and it'll be easier to answer your question and kind of address it, I think, probably after the fight because I'll have gotten through this one. But for me, man, I mean, it's business as usual. I'm looking at this fight as, you know, I win and can fight Cejudo at the end of the year. So that's kind of how I look at this. Like I said, business as usual, find a really tough guy, and um, that's kind of going to take up all my my, my my thoughts as far as the division goes is my fight in the division uh, next Saturday. We're in this kind of weird champ-champ era right now where you have people holding belts in more than one division. The issue with this, of course, is when you have an injury now like Henry Cejudo has where he's going to be on the shelf for, what, six months or whatever it is, you now have two divisions that are in limbo. We have pay-per-views that need title fights that, that need to fill these events. In fact, we have the strawweight and flyweight women's titles now on fight night cards, so that, that leaves even more room for uh, title fights on future pay-per-view cards. Do you feel like there, there should be an interim title and in whether either it's one of the two divisions that Henry Cejudo holds a title in? Yeah, I mean, we'll see how long this goes on. You know, the hard thing about, yeah, the champ champ things is with an injury, I mean, it's, it's 100% going to tie up some stuff. But even without it, um, trying to defend both your belts is you know, a long distance between the two, like say you're taking turns in a perfect world of being a champ champ, you know, you're taking time turns, defending belts, you know, you fight at 35, you win it. Oh, your next one, you have to go defend at 25 in December. Okay. Well, by the time you go defend the other one, that's, you know, June again. So now it's a year before you've even defended that belt where typically champions in a division are defending, you know, two, three times a year. So, yeah, I mean, even without an injury, it holds it up. But now, you know, you get that injury, you know, prolongs even the next title fight. So it's a tough thing, man. It's a it's a, it's a tough thing. Um, I think there's some positives out of it, but mainly I haven't seen many good things come from the champ champ stuff besides like on an individual level for whoever it's happening to. I feel like the, the UFC is lucky to have you. You're, you're a very optimistic guy. You look at this division, you, you <laughs> still see a light at the end of the court, tunnel. You know? <laughs> it's true. Like, dude, like, I don't know. I've just been in this stuff so long. It's like, 
you have to be to make it this long in this sport. You know, I mean, you're going through practices every day, you know, might not go your way. You're doing it every day. Be optimistic about it. Um, you know what I mean? This is going this way. Be, you always have to find a positive thing. Oh, you're going in camp and you get a little knickknack and you can't train. Oh, well, the positive is the rest. Like, I don't know. It's it's almost that point of like making something up, but it's more of just finding a positive because there always is one, you know, even in an ACL injury or something like that, you know, there always is something. So I don't know. I was just doing the interviews, man. And, you know, they were talking to me about how I kind of have stayed along so long in this sport. And I think it's that um, attitude and kind of outlook I try to have, you know, like every day is a new day. You know, I never get caught up in like, you know, what's in the past and what's in the future and how hard this is. I just go in every day kind of like feeling lucky, trying my best and trying to have a positive attitude about it no matter what it is. And then, uh, I don't know, like every day is, um, every day ends up being like efficient. You know, you end up getting the most out of it that, that way and the most out of, you know, months, fight camps, you know, careers. So I don't know. It's one of those things in this sport. I don't think you really have a choice. You know, if you're not that positive in it, it's already a hard enough sport and there's enough negatives and downs in it that it's just like if if, if you let those get to you, you know, you're not going to have the longest or most happy time doing it. And, you know, for me, it's about staying happy. That's why I do it. Like, I like doing it. I'm excited to go to practice every day. You know, I'm not going in and, oh, this is terrible. What's going to happen? I'm fed up with everything. So. Anyway, that's 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 my story. It's just <laughs> such a great mindset to have, though. I mean, when you when if there's one person in the UFC right now that would have like a legitimate gripe, you could have been on a nine fight win streak. There was you know the decision against Pettis. A lot of people thought you had won that fight. Your only losses in fly, at flyweight, other than that, are to Demetrius Johnson, who's now gone. This belt's been eluding you since you started in the flyweight division. What that seven years ago or whatever it is. If yeah. anybody would have a gripe about this, it should be you. But you, you just keep your head up and you keep a smile on your face, which is just so refreshing. Yeah. Hey, you know, I'd be lying if I said, um, well, thank you for one, but you know, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't gripes, you know, um, at some points. It's just about not letting them, you know, like I'm human like anybody else. You're going to get fed up with a lot of stuff. You know, I have a side of me that, you know, sometimes feeds into – to negative thoughts and, and, and stuff like that. But it's kind of about not letting it control you and looking at the bigger picture. So even if I am fed up with something or the gripe is right, rightful, it's like, it's, it's a short lived thing where I'm like, Hey, what can you do? Like you said, keep smiling and keep your head down because like whatever you're griping about, you got to access it. If like, can I control that that I'm griping about? No. Is it like a personal thing? Like get over it, you know? And, that's kind of what life's about, you know, is um, getting over things, having the short memories and, and like adapting to any situation. So the gripes are there, but it's about just like, like I said, not letting them drag you down and affect you. Like, trust me, like I have times all the way where I'm like, no way, like how could this happen? This is ridiculous. But you look at it and you're like, well, am I going to gripe about it or am I just going to like keep plugging away? Do you feel like there is something of an insincerity, though, in terms of how this division is being approached? You know, I asked Dana about this uh, at the last event and said, you can't ignore that this division's gone from 55 people to 12 or 13. And he said, yeah, I can. I haven't said anything about this division shutting down. But do you feel like that's sincere? It's sincere in him saying he hasn't said anything about it shutting down or hasn't done anything about it. 
uh, sincere to to act like there's nothing going on that there that you know this oh, division's yeah. business no, as usual. No, that that is definitely. I mean, there's there's no denying there's something going on. I've said it in interviews before. I'm like they're not telling us, but like on the inside stuff. Like I know this stuff. Like I see people lose and get cut. I see people lose and be forced to move up. I know flyweights. They're gonna talk to me, and they're gonna say, "Hey, dude, like." are you still fighting at flyweight? Yeah. And they're like, oh, because they just called me and said, you know, he, that I'm a 35er now. And, like, I didn't have a choice. But I was so happy to just not be cut that I just that I just was like, okay, I accept the 35-pound fight. So there's 100% something going on. I don't know what it is now. And it looks a little better. And at least there's an, there was somewhat of an answer. But that can change any day. So, you know, you never know. But, like, I mean, anyone in the media, anyone in the division, anyone that's even a fan could 100% tell there was stuff going on. If there was nothing going on, there wouldn't be so many questions and quotes and me answering stuff every time and media talking about it every time. So there was no doubt there was something going on. And that was the hardest part is that there was this kind of like vague, like no talking about it. Even though something was going on, there wasn't like, hey, hey this is what's going on. So... Yeah, man. Another one of those things in this business that we just talked about. It's just like, you know, it's the reality of it, you know, and I think everyone in this sport has probably deal with it in some way or the other, you know, some people worse than others, you know, champions, this and that. It's just like one of those things, you know, you gotta, you gotta stay positive with those things you you can't control and, um, you know, let them motivate you and do your best in the situation. But you know, at the end of the day, it's the nature of, of the business, I guess. So what's your hesitation to just say, you know what, I'm just going to move up to 135. It makes more sense for me to, you know, try to get into the top 15, top 10 of that division uh, and push for a title shot there than it is to just hang out and see what the future of this division is and be in limbo. Oh, no, that's not really desirable at all to me because, you know, I'm riding this thing out to the end. Like, for me... Nothing is certain, you know, it's, it's not over to the fat lady things or whatever. Um, it's just like nothing is certain at this, at this point I have a, I have a fight at 25 that could potentially, like, I would rather hang on to a chance than just like give up on something that like I've been here from the start of, you know, I'd rather put all my money and time in on like a shot of something happening, you know, and doing my best and doing what I want and what I believe in than just folding and being like, yeah, whatever. It was cool. Like, let's do what you probably want anyway and what everyone wants anyway. So um, that's kind of my thing. Like I said, it's like I would rather do something I, you know, I mean, basically what I want to do. (laughs) I appreciate your convictions on that for sure. And I think a lot of people do as well. Um, Uriah Faber, he's coming back. He's uh, fighting in Sacramento, um, his backyard uh, against Ricky Simone. Do you think? How do you think Ricky um, Uriah is going to look when he comes back? Do you think that this is a good move for him? Dude, California kid is forty years old. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the California kid has a kid. That's exactly. Um, but that is what makes him great, and what makes him the kid still is he's forty years old. But like, he has a young mindset. And you hear it so often, like, "Oh, age is a state of mind. It's a state of mind." Blah 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 stuff like that and it sounds cool but like Faber literally lives by that like he is just a young kid at heart you know he just grappled a 16 year old like phenom in competition 
and he misses competition. He's born for competition. And, you know, at the end of the day, his last, like this sport is one of those sports. It's like the only way to know you can't fight anymore is to like live it, to not be able to fight anymore, like to get done with the fight and be like, damn, like I got beat up. Like I can't fight anymore. You know what I mean? Like that's the end of the day. It is great when people can walk away without having that realization. But the only reason, the only way to really know is to do this. Not that I'm saying Faber is going to know by fighting someone else, but what I'm getting at is his last fight, he was competing, you know, and he was looking great in his retirement fight. Like he won his retirement fight. So you can't say, Oh, he's past this or past that. You know, I don't know how his training is. You see him go and grapple, you know, um, a young phenom like, um, Nikki Ryan. So it's one of those things like you, you like, you only know you're done because you're actually done and you, and you can't compete anymore. And to me, he's, he's still competing. So, you know, there's no realization there. And I don't think there will be in a long time because he is an elite at what he does. And he's been pretty outspoken recently um, about TJ Dillashaw, obviously, since, since that news broke. This was something that he said to uh, Sirius XM Radio. He said, uh, I saw signs of him do- doubting his natural abilities from early, early on. Being someone who's a mentor to him, I'd have to hear him complain about the natural gifts that Chad had or the natural gifts that I had or Lance Palmer had and just the realization that he didn't have them. Looking back, knowing how competitive he is and his moral code, basically it doesn't shock me, and I started to hear more and more about it a year after he left the team, about what he may or may not be doing. Uh, and so I'm shocked that it took this long for them to catch him. Um, when you hear those words from Uriah, is that something that you agree with? That you, is that something that you saw back in the day when you were at Alpha Male? Hey, you're like, if you go back to things I've already answered about this, I said the same thing. I said I'm not surprised, and it has nothing to do with like knowing this or seeing this. It's just evidence, signs, whatever you want to call it, you know, um, yeah, and, like, that was it. Like, I've said that before, and people said, oh, well, you knew this? And I'm like, no, I didn't know. I'm just saying I'm not surprised because I do know him. So, you know, I've already said the same thing. And, like I said, there's a difference between not being surprised and actually knowing something. But, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people that, that know the person for those reasons um, have said the same thing, like, not surprised. And, once again, that doesn't mean you can say, oh, you knew, you knew. No, you're just not surprised. Has he reached out to you at all? Excuse me? Has he reached out to you at all since his suspension? Uh, no. no. Okay. No, no, not at all. No. So he's never tried to mend any fences with you or anything along those lines. Not that, I mean, not that there was ever really a solitary moment of when you and him kind of stopped talking. Um, I do know that you didn't like the way that he was approaching the flyweight division, but I, I wasn't sure if you guys were ever still in touch. No, no. Can't say we have been. All right, well, um, hopefully I'll see you during International Fight Week uh, and you'll have a win uh, on your record from uh, your upcoming fight with Formigia. I'm going to be there July 4th. I'm a Canadian. What do I do in Vegas on July 4th? Go to a pool party and get burnt. <laughs> I don't know. I'm staying out of that weather. I'm, I'm, I can't handle this. Fireworks at Red Rock and stuff, but good meals always nice. I don't know. All right, so there's fireworks, no, there's there's no fireworks <laughs> and there's, uh, there's stuff to do, man. I mean, at least at night the weather gets a little bit more palatable. I can't walk around in that way. I wear a suit, yeah, Joe, and I walk yeah, around there and I burn to death. I, I hate it. It is tough. It is tough here. That's why I said the best thing to do in the summer here is be in a pool or be inside. Those are your really only real options, or or go out at night. So, you know, there's nice firework displays at night. I think there's some on the strip, but um, 
There's always something to do here. I was going to challenge you to an afternoon game of tennis, but I guess that's out of the question now. That might be cool, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll be here. I'll be a week out of a fight, so, yeah. I've, I haven't played tennis in like, in like 15 years, but if you're game, we can, we can go. Yeah. I'll show you around <laughs> if, 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 if push comes to shove. All right. Oh, I appreciate that. I might go to a concert uh, when I'm there. I, uh, there's a, a band called Man Man playing in, uh, in Las Vegas that I'd like to go see, so maybe I'll go do that. Oh, dude. Live shows are, are the move here. All right. Well, I'll check it out. All right, Joe. Great catching up with you. Yeah, I'll see you soon. Appreciate you, buddy. Later. That was Joseph Benavidez joining us on the TSN MMA show. And uh, we also got to catch up with uh, Colby Covington. Colby Covington is going to be headlining UFC Fight Night in Newark, August the 3rd. Now, this card's interesting because it starts at 3 o'clock Eastern. It's like the middle of the day. And a lot of people were wondering, what's the reason for this? So here's my theory. I don't have any real proof of this. But this card was originally supposed to happen in Sochi, Russia. Didn't end up coming into fruition. Then the next rumor was it was going to happen in Manchester, England. That didn't happen. Ends up happening in Newark. And my thought process is that ESPN probably just had that block blocked off for programming. And yeah. they have to just keep it in that block. So it's a middle of the day okay. UFC card in Newark. It's almost fun. like a, a Europe. Like how we watch it in Europe. Exactly. Yeah, the bad. Europeans would probably be thrilled about that. They usually are like going huh? up until 2 a.m. Or like it's 4 a.m. Nice watching these cards. Like, I mean... Now you have a, a night out after. You exactly. can watch your UFC. Hit the town in Newark and That's try to survive. Right. There you go. It's a, it's a second contest, second battle. Yeah. We had a, uh, although we I've had heard Newark's been there. cleaned up. Uh, we, had a, a we had a glory event there. At Prudential? Uh, I don't know where it was. I okay. think so. Yeah, the big arena? I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, no, I, don't, I can't remember. Okay. Too many events, too many shows. Too many arenas. Too you many know, arenas. Yeah, asking you to I remember even, that when the shows are is enough. It's even to the point where it's like when I travel so much, it's like I group in, like they're like, oh, remember when we went to this? I was like, I don't know the difference between <laughs> Paris, Belgium, Holland, I mean, Copenhagen. I've been everywhere. And I, I, it, Do you recognize the arenas? Blur. Like, is there anything about the arenas where you're like, oh, I, I was here once. I remember yeah, that. Some of them, the arenas, but like to tell you the names, I couldn't tell you the names mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. All right. Too many things. I can't remember. T- there's too many th- names of fighters I got to remember. It's crazy. I can't remember arenas, too. Well, let's, uh, let's speak to Mr. Covington. He's going to be facing uh, Robbie Lawler in the middle of the day hey. in uh, Newark, New Jersey. Here's Colby Covington on that fight and why he took it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. I'm joined now by Colby Chaos Covington taking on Robbie Lawler August the 3rd in Newark, New Jersey. So I saw an interview that James Lynch did with uh, your manager, Dan Lambert. He said, they made you an offer you can't refuse or maybe a, a demand you can't refuse. Can you elaborate on what that means? Uh, it just means that, you know, I'm, I'm the champ of the division. I'm going to defend my title and I'm going to get my championship pay. So, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. You know, if, if Mari Fake Newsman doesn't want to fight, if Tyco Woodley doesn't want to fight me, you know, business goes on as usual. What a better fight to defend my title against and ruthless Robbie Lawler you know the last great champion of the division besides myself I mean he's got a list of accolades you know he he looked phenomenal his last fight against Ben Askren you know dropping him on his head taking his Hodge trophy and removing his consciousness so you know it's going to be a dog fight and I'm excited for August 3rd in Newark New Jersey at the Prudential Center. You'd mentioned when um, Usman got the title shot instead of you that pay was very important compensation was very important Were, were there new uh, anything new in terms of a contract for this fight? Are you getting compensated accordingly? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm getting uh, compensated accordingly, but you know I'm getting my championship pay that I signed a contract uh, when, before I beat Ralphie Dos Nachos to get. So you know that the UFC knows that they need to honor their word with me, and 
at the end of the day, they know I sell, I put asses in seats and sell huts. So, you know, they're going to get an exciting performance and an exciting show come August 3rd. And that's what they want. You know, this is, they want the big fights on, on ESPN, you know, because the deal that they did with them. So, you know, we're going to deliver a great show on ESPN. That was part of the discussion then. Like when they called Dan Lambert, they said, listen, you know, we don't really want to take a fight where we're not fighting Usman, but, you know, if you're paying us like a champion, we're going to defend the, you know, we're going to defend our, ourselves like we are a champion. Is that, is that right? Does that make, is, is that accurate? Yeah, that's very accurate, you know. And there's also another side of it that Marty Fake Usman just simply does not want to fight me. You know, anytime my name is brought up now, he can't, you know, he's, he goes speechless and he has nothing to say. Before, before, before he fought Woodley and got that Power Ranger number one contender belt, it was, oh, Colby, we live 20 miles apart. We could fight. Oh, do it for the round to immigrate that blackout. But now, now he's got this, he's got a little bit of uh, leeway, you know, and he's got a little bit of leverage, you know, he, he's using that. And he, doesn't, he knows he doesn't want to lose everything he worked for to me because, you know, he'll never live that down the rest of his life. And, you know, he'll have nightmares about me for the rest of his life. There was that confrontation in Las Vegas, I guess, in the buffet line. Um, you recently said that the Palms made it right. Is that you're able to stay at the Palms again? Yeah, I mean, how embarrassing, first off, though. Like, the guy can attack me in a Palms buffet line. And, and, and remind you, the night before, he's in a wheelchair going to the press conference. And then the next day, he's jumping over barriers in the Palms buffet line, putting innocent children and women women's lives in danger so it's just it's hilarious he tries to be this good guy but really he's just a little street thug he can't handle his business like a professional you know can't he won't even fight me in octagon but you know he'll run up on me in a palms buffet line so but besides that you know the palms made things right with the champ you know they came to me they gave me unlimited crab legs for the week they gave me the playboy suite so you know i can't complain me and palms are back on good terms again just like Dana White, they had banned him from playing, I guess, blackjack there, if I recall. It was the Palms, and, uh, and they, they've invited him back with open arms. Yep, I think that uh, ever since the Fertitas took over the, the Palms uh, establishment, they, you know, they've made that establishment great again. So, you know, it's a good place to be, you know, a lot, good gambling, you know, good nightclubs, good food, and, you know, a good atmosphere. So, you know, they're doing good things. Respect to the Fertitas. Your buddy, who I met last time you were there, um, your friend from Oregon, he was he was playing O lineman. He was doing a good job of of keeping uh, keeping order in that situation. <laughs> in which situation? In during the uh, the buffet scuffle, uh, he was getting he was he was yeah. creating that barrier that was uh, that that cooled things down. Yeah, my boy Mike Johnson from uh, Oregon. You know he he definitely uh, saved the day. You know he he was keeping back that behemoth that was with uh, Usman with whoever the, that guy he brought and then. You know, of course, Ali Adele Sleeves was trying to swing on me, but, you know, I got reflexes like a cat, so he can't hit me. That guy's a joke. So, yeah, I got a big shout-out to my boy, Mike Johnson. Do you feel like this layoff, I mean, we just had that card in June in Chicago. It's been a year since you fought in Chicago and uh, won the championship. Um, do you feel like people are forgetting what you're capable of in the cage because you're so vocal outside of the cage? They forget what you can do? Yeah, there's no doubt about it that, you know, people think I just talk, but they don't realize that I've walked the walk my whole entire career. So, you know, all this promoting, all the selling of the fights, and, and just putting on an entertaining, entertaining show for the fans year-round. It's not just about when you fight in the octagon, you know. You need to, you need to put a smile on, on fans' lives day in and day out when they're going through their struggles. So, you know, there's a lot of haters that I have, and those haters, you know, they, they forget that I can fight. You know, they think I'm just – 
you know, out with chicks partying every single weekend, but they forget there's an actual real champion that uh, is working hard every single day and chasing his dreams. So, you know, I'm going to remind everybody August 3rd. One thing that seems to be coming up in uh, interviews with, with your friend Jorge Masvidal, interviews with you, is the potential for you two to eventually fight. And it seems like you're both open to the idea, which surprises me. Uh, can you explain why that is, why um, you would be okay fighting your, your friend and a, a key training partner for you? Yeah, because we're both going to make a buttload of money. It's a big money fight. You know, former uh, or training partners and, and best friends, you know, that's my very bestest friend in the whole entire world. So, you know, we've been through a lot together, man. We, You know, stuff that's not made to talk in interviews. You know, we've done some great things together and, and you know, had some great memories together. So, you know, it's a big money fight, and now we're at the top of the division. This is something that we dreamed of, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago when I first got to American Top Team that – one day we could eventually meet up at the top and fight for the welterweight title, you know. It'll be a great fight, and uh, we'll put on a show for the fans and both leave with seven-figure paychecks. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been scared of Jorge because of, of how real of a guy he is? I'm not talking about in training or anything like that, but just when you've been, when you've been out somewhere and, and that, 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 flips, that switch flips with, uh, with Jorge. Yeah, that, guy, that guy's uh, he's a scary dude, man. He don't take no nonsense. He don't take no bullshit. So, you know, I've seen him... <laughs> He's a he's a legit street street fighter, man. You don't you don't piss that guy off in the streets because he will three pieces so do you in the streets and leave you unconscious and, and and walk away like it never happened. So you know that's that's a guy you don't want to piss off and, and be on his bad side. I feel like because you've been around that, that when if you were to actually fight him one day, that would be a tough thing to look past. Like for you to mentally get past knowing what this guy does outside of the octagon. Is is there any any truth to that at all? Uh, not really, you know. A fight's a fight, man. Every fight, these guys are dangerous. You know, Ruta Swabi Law, this guy can can lay you out with one punch. He's the most vicious guy. He's the boogeyman of the division that nobody want to fight, you know. Ben Askren's terrified of him. He's running from that fight. He's like, please don't let me fight Ruta Swabi Law again and remove my consciousness. So, you know, I, I know a fight is a fight, you know, at the end of the day. And, and when that light switch turns on for me, I, I can go to a very dark place, and, and I know how to channel that aggression. Do you feel like Lawler's best days are behind him? I mean, we saw your fight with uh, Dos Anjos. It was, a, uh, you know, you, you had won that one, and what Dos Anjos had done to Lawler prior to that, we we also saw um, him dominate Robbie Lawler. Do you think that the best days of Robbie Lawler are behind him? No, absolutely not. Did you not? Did you not see how he looked in his last fight with Ben Askren? I mean, his body looked completely different than it's ever looked. He looked stronger and healthier than he's ever looked. You know, and the thing about that fight that he had with Ralphie Dos Anjos. You know, you, that's not really indicative of his skill set because, you know, he got dominated, but that's because he got he tore his ACL in the first round. So he was on one leg the whole entire fight. So, you know, I don't really take that fight into consideration. I'm not even looking at the film for that fight because, you know, that, 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 that fight will fool you. You know, you can't look into that fight. He's, he's a dangerous fighter. He's a scary guy. So I'm not really looking at that fight. You know, his fight coming back from that ACL surgery, he looked better than ever when he dropped Ben Askren on his head and took his Hodge trophy. So... You know, I'm expecting the best Robbie Lawler we've ever seen. He's going to have a little extra chip on his shoulder. You know, he wants to get ATT back after he left ATT on bad terms. And, and he wants to get my agent back, you know, Dan Lambert, the greatest manager and agent in the game. And, and uh, you know, I'm expecting the best Robbie Lawler we've ever seen on August 3rd. The fight with him and Rory McDonald, a lot of people talk about how scary that fight is when you look at it at the very end. But if you watch it from the beginning and you see these guys hitting each other at the very end of their punches for basically four rounds... Like, that's some of the craziest stuff you'll ever see in MMA. 
is is your game plan to avoid that? Is, I mean, I know I know you'll probably want to exchange with him at, at points, but where Robbie is most dangerous is hitting guys at the very end of that punch. Is that something that you take into consideration? And also, with a wrestling skill set, that probably is a, a plus for you, given that when people are keeping that kind of range, if they're throwing punches, it, it can allow you to close that distance. Yeah, he's very deceptive with his range, and he understands timing. He understands spacing. And that guy, he, he's a legit world champion class boxer, you know, and he has very good, strong hips. That's why he's so powerful with his punches. So, you know, those are the end of the punches. Imagine if you're running into those punches, you know. These guys, they get their lights turned off when they fight Robbie Lawler. So, you know, I'm anticipating a guy that, that's coming in, you know, for blood. He wants to... He wants, you know, we saw what he did to Roy McDonald. You know, he ruined his career. You know, he literally took Roy McDonald's soul. He's never been the same guy since he fought Robbie Lawler. So, you know, I have to make sure that he doesn't do the same to me. So a couple of matchups involving your teammates are coming up. You've got this weekend, you've got Junior Dos Santos uh, versus um, Francis Ngannou. How do you think Junior can win that fight? Um, I, You know, I see Junior Dos Santos just the, his veteran savvy. You know, he's got the experience in there. The, I think he's really going to take his time. It's a five-round fight. You know, he's got very good footwork. And, you know, in heavyweight division, we know that all it takes is one punch. So, you know, I see uh, Junior Dos Santos using his experience and, and just touching up Nagano on the outside and, and really just wearing him down. Nagano has no – he's a front runner. He comes out hard in that first round. But if he doesn't have his way in that first round, he fades quickly. So I see Junior Dos Santos taking advantage of him fading quickly and piecing him apart for five rounds. And you've got Amanda Nunes against Holly Holm. Home aside, is there anybody that you think could beat Amanda Nunes? Nah, there's there's no one that can beat Amanda Nunes. She's she's only gotten better every single day at the greatest gym in the world, American Top Team, and you know she has great coaches with Conan Silvera and and our team at American Top Team. So she's continued to up her level and raise her bar every single fight. We haven't seen the best Amanda Nunes yet. Uh, Tiago Santos taking on John Jones. He's another ATT uh, teammate of yours, I believe. Um, what's Tiago Santos's path to victory against John Jones? Like a puzzle nobody's been able to solve, aside from Matt Hamill's forehead. Yeah, you know, his path to victory is, uh, you know, knock him out. I think he can knock out John Jones. I don't think John has that great of a chin, you know. Uh, I mean, in the years past, he's had a great chin, but, you know, that's because we know he's done steroids and, and whatnot, so... You know, I think I don't think he's going to be the same guy as he was in the past, and, and I think we saw that in the Anthony Smith fight. He didn't. I mean, yeah, he dominated the fight, but I mean, he didn't. He didn't look like how he, he's looked in the past. So, you know, I think Anthony. I think uh, my boy Tiago can get the job done. American Top Team has him well prepared. They put him through vigorous training and and specialized in, just in a game plan for John Jones. So, you know, I think he beats up my old roommate Johnny Bones. So, when you look at um, those three guys. And, and female, of course, with, with Amanda Nunes. They're all from Brazil. And you had that whole thing with Brazil when you fought Damian Maia back in the day. That was a long time ago. Have you been able to, to I guess, um, make friends with a lot of the Brazilians that you train with again, that they kind of understand where you were going with what you were doing, and uh, you know they've been able to put that behind them? I would say that it's a mixture. You know, Some of them really took it personal. That's their country, and I understand that. You know, someone shit in my country you know i wouldn't take that lightly i'd take that very seriously so you know some of them understand and someone doesn't but it's not my job to explain to them why i did it and and the reason behind it you know i'm here to do business and and i'm here to to promote and market so you know if they have a problem with it that's that's their problem you know this is this is the colby chaos show now 
you talk about how much your country means to you. I saw on your Instagram page you went and visited, I think it was the Marines or something along those lines during Memorial Day. Tell me some stories from, from that experience that, uh, that you're going to keep with you. That you know, what, what are some stories that you heard or something that, that happened to you there that, that you really take away as being a, a very mo- memorable moment in your life? Yeah, that was definitely the, the single biggest and best accomplishment slash memory of my life, you know, over winning my UFC title. Just to be able to go out there and see the day-in and day-in life of the Marines and the Navy for a full week out in New York and Times Square, it, it was just so memorable. You know, I got to stay the night on the USS New York ship, and this is a ship that's built out of part of the remnants of 9-11, you know, so you can imagine what type of history this ship has. And I mean, and the ship's probably right outside Iran right now, to be honest, you know, USA is going to be at war with them soon because they're threatening us. We don't take that lightly, but that's another story in itself. But just, man, just to see the way they live day in and day out, they live on the ship, you know, they have three bunk beds and a tiny little bunk bed. They're up at 4 a.m. The, the, the horn's going off. They're working hard till 9, 9, 9 p.m. And this is all for America, man. They're sacrificing. They're putting all the line for all of America's freedoms, all the people here. And it's sad that you don't see more athletes that come out and support the troops and support our military, man, because we wouldn't be where we're at. The opportunity is afforded without them sacrificing their lives for us. So, you know, I just I, I just take so many great memories and experiences from that trip. And, and you know, I got to cap the, the end of that trip off, which is pretty amazing, too. I got to go to the Trump Tower and hang out with Trump Jr. and Eric Trump, and they gave me their word that they'll be front row in my next fight. So, you know, you, you might just see the first family there in New York, New Jersey on ESPN August 3rd. Were you also at the Beat the Streets recently uh, in New York? No, I wasn't at Beat the Streets, but I, th- I think everybody in the world saw Ben Askren get embarrassed in front of the world. But, you know, that that's the thing. He's just getting used to getting embarrassed in front of the world before he fights uh, me. That area is going to be memorable for you coming up in Newark against Robbie Lawler and possibly in New York in November uh, against Kamaru Usman. Is that what your long-term plan is? Is that after this fight with Lawler, you're looking ahead to MSG? Uh, you know, to be honest, Aaron, you know, I used to look ahead of guys in the past, but Ruthless Robbie Lawler is not someone I'm going to look ahead of. I'm only focused on Ruthless Robbie Lawler. This, this is a guy that's hungry right now, a guy that wants to get redemption, a guy that just, you know, he's, he's one of the hardest hitters to ever grace the sport. So he's the boogeyman of the division that nobody wants to fight. Everybody refused to fight him. Tyron Woodley pulled out of a fight with him, you know, because of a little hand injury. You know, he's just pretty much scared, which is what that means. So, you know, I'm not looking ahead. I'm only focused on Robbie Lawler on August 3rd, and then we'll reevaluate once August 3rd comes. All right, well, I'm hoping to be down there in Newark as an afternoon card, 3 p.m. main card start, which is great for uh, the people that have kids like myself that want to get to bed early. Uh, Colby, thanks for this. Not, I mean, for you also, it's good because you get to go out on the town afterwards, which I'm, I know you, you are averse to, you uh, are well averse to doing. You know it, man. I'll be I'll be in Times Square after I get that dub and, and making Times Square great again. So you can expect uh, me to take over New York after I get down up in Newark. All right, Colby, always great catching up with you. Good luck uh, on August the 3rd. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Take care, brother. That was Colby Covington, always entertaining, that guy. Yeah. He's got a lot to say. And one of our original guests that we had on, yeah, I think right? our second, first or second show, one of the two. I think Kevin Lee was our first show and Colby yeah. was our second, but I might be but wrong still, on that. still helping us out early on. Yeah, that's that's true. We've uh, he, He's always available. Whenever I want to chat with him, uh, he always answers the call, so I appreciate that. And uh, we uh, we like having him on. And, uh, you know, if he gets a win here, good chance that he ends up fighting uh, Kamaru Usman in uh, November at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, so. He's doing his thing. He's going to be he's big in that region, New York, New Jersey region.
you know, he's doing his thing. That's all you can say. He's doing it. So you're in uh, Orlando next week for Glory. Petch. Yeah. I love watching Petch. Petch. Panamarun Kiatmukau. And how much of a chance does Petch's opponent have? Um, it's actually a, a good opponent for him because um, Petch fights a lot of, like, your traditional kickboxers, the Holland guys, you know. He's fought the Van, the Robin Van Roos Mollins. He fights, um, like, an Esbiri kind of guy a, where they're, like, pressure, good combinations, Dutch style. So for a Thai guy, it's kind of nice because uh, the, the Dutch guy will punch a lot. So the Thai guy just sits, left kick, left kick, left kicks you all day. But his opponent lives in Thailand, has almost 100 professional fights. His experience is mostly solely in um, Muay Thai. So he knows the Muay Thai style. He's surrounded by it. He lives it. He's been it. So I think if anyone's going to have a good chance, um, it, it could be him. There so, you go. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely uh, an experienced thing to see. Like He's probably sparred and trained with Hundreds of, you know, Southpaw left kickers at the highest level. So um, I just want a good fight. That's all I'm looking uh, whatever for. Whatever Petch fights, it usually ends up being a good fight. Yeah, and But a lot of the time he outclasses the uh, the opponent. Absolutely. And it, it was Petch one weapon, before? too. Uh, Van Roosmalen. Just Van Roosmalen. Once, and then um, he got the rematch and beat him in a rematch. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Cool. So I think he's like 9-1 or 8-1. In, like just that. in glory, just in glory yeah. himself. Yeah, but in terms of his Muay Thai career, he's I think two hundred and five. I think four. he's one hundred and seventy-five <laughs> wins. Yeah, like, and he's like twenty-three years old. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, crazy. So they just fight every day. Crazy. Yep. Yeah, I don't know how they do. They it. don't even spar because yeah. they fight so often, right? That's the whole thing. They're like sparring. They play. They touch. They. But that's they why clinch. there's no rec- real records for these guys, right? There's no yeah. like none of these are logged or anything like that, right? No. But even like his record, his pro record, probably started when he was seven years old. So of that 165, probably started when he was seven. But still, that's only 13 years of fighting, and that's over like 12, 13, 14 fights a year, which is at least one to two a month since he was seven years old. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Unfortunately, we won't yeah. be able to do a podcast together for International Fight Week. But uh, Yeah, it's going to be a good one, too. Yeah. Stacked you, card. Who do you think has a better chance of uh, of winning, Thiago Santos or Holly Holm? Hmm. Better chance of winning, Holly Holm. Okay. You? I think, I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, the odds would indicate that. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, probably. I'm, probably. I think I'm really excited a lot for um, we we're seeing uh, Rockhold at the uh, light heavyweight. I think that's one of the more interesting ones I'm looking for. And I'm, yeah, right. and I'm excited for Masvidal Askren. I think yeah. those are the mm-hmm. outside. Like, the main event, I love seeing John Jones, but Tiago Santos, I don't think is that crazy challenger that's going to maybe do something. Uh, so I think the Askren, uh, Masvidal, and Luke Rockhold are the ones I'm probably most excited for on the card. We actually have a piece coming out uh, next week on uh, all the different ways that John Jones can beat you regardless of what you do. About how, like, if you're in close, he'll beat you. If you're, if you're oh, on yeah. the outside, he'll beat you. And it's with Simon Marcus. Yeah, I know. I, saw, I, just, yeah. I actually saw that today. Robin posted, uh, Robin Black posted a clip of him with Simon doing kicks. Yeah. Body kick, body kick. Go mm-hmm. upstairs to the head. Because Simon himself isn't that big, but compared to Robin, it's a good like yeah, example yeah, yeah, yeah. of you know a, a bigger, taller guy, yeah, longer Simon, guy. Uh, Simon's one of those guys who um, fights at middleweight and walks around at middleweight. He mm-hmm. walks around fight weight. Yeah. So I mean, he's similar, to, similar to Israel, I guess. Uh, Israel walks Israel around a little probably heavier. Cuts a little yeah, bit. He yeah. cuts a little bit. He says, yeah. but yeah. But Simon, no, he walks around even under fight weight sometimes. Mm-hmm. But he's very long, lean. Yeah. yeah. So it's a good, good I mean, archetype. Twenty four seven rip. Uh, he's got extra abs somehow, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's always in that lean shape. So it works for him. All right, well, you can check that next week, tsn.ca slash UFC for that. And all of our coverage for International Fight Week, I'm going to try to get a podcast out next week uh, from Las Vegas. So uh, make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back 
Uh, I guess Joe and I probably in about two weeks. Two weeks, Together yeah. and next week with an International Fight Week podcast. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.